away, my shoe. Welcome to Hyperfixation, because you look like you needed more hobbies. I'm Goldie, they, them, and I'd fuck all my clones. I'm Joel, also they, them. We'll go with that. Uh, and Obi-Wan is my dad. I'm Claire, and I will seize control of the simulation. We all have things that we, like a delicious chicken wing, sucked the bone dry and yet still hunger for more. And when you've read a book series or watched a TV show or listened to a band that you loved, the next thing you want is someone to talk to about it. And that's what we're here to do. Each episode, one of us is going to introduce something to the other two, which is something new to try. Sometimes we'll like it, sometimes we don't, but we're always here to talk and discuss about it. And this week, it's my turn to make it your problem. Yeah. I so. can't wait for it to be my problem. <laughs> Uh, Alright, so the thing that I'm introducing you guys to this week is the 1988, I believe it is. Uh, I need to get the friggin' year right for this. It is the Star Wars radio play. Let's start with the the year (laughs) to begin with. This is the uh, 1981 Star Wars radio play. So, as a kid... Uh, I listened to a lot of audio cassettes because uh, this was the 90s and this, was, yes. this is what you did back then. I'd listen to like The Lion King on audio cassette. Uh, there was a some standard comedian who like did a lot of like oral sound effects. He could just like paint an entire scene without any using any... Michelano and Woodley? Uh, sort of like that. Yeah, like he, he... There's one bit where he's like makes the sound of a jet engine aircraft and he says, now this is a single engine job because I've only got one tongue. Um, but anyway, I listened to a whole bunch of these. One that I listened to a bunch was this the star wars uh 1981 radio play uh this was just a radio adaptation of the original star wars aka a new hope i only had the first two cassettes of it though uh so i only listened to the first chunk of it but i listened to it to death then years later i found a source for it and have listened through to it and i think it's just a fantastic morsel that we can get into wait so it's a radio play adaption of the movie correct okay for stupid idiots like myself what is a radio play so, back back in the day, before podcasts were invented... Ah, uh, yes. Uh, what? <laughs> now... What do you mean? Stay with me. Stay with me. Don't panic. Uh, on, the, on the radio... You uh, told me this was a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch. Uh, radio plays are just radio dramas. This is uh, a lot of podcasts. They, it's come back in podcast culture these days, pretty much. But do you know the story of the original 1938 War of the Worlds radio yeah everyone drama. thought yeah. it was real because everyone was stupid back then yes, yes. that that is an example of one of the most famous radio dramas that in that one in particular was designed as if it were a real news broadcast which is what disturbed a lot of people um i think the legend does exaggerate it a bit but a lot of audio dramas back in the day this is like before tv this was the first like uh mass market wireless communication mm-hmm. so they would do game shows they would do talk shows interviews but they would also just do dramas and stories of People getting together, talking, uh, and stories coming about it. The reason why you don't aren't familiar with them is because in the 80s, they were dying. Because TV was really cool and really fun and way more interesting, and nobody wanted to make stupid, crummy old radio shows. Yes. Can you imagine, you know, listening to something for yeah. an hour? Like, it's just too like long. This is an audio medium purely for an hour? Just Who would do that? talking. Who it, would make that? It is the worst. <laughs> So in the 1980s, Richard Toskin, associate dean of the University of California School for the Performing Arts, is like, we got to do it, guys. We got to bring back radio drama. It's dying. We're the only only guys who can save this. And he got John Houseman, who was actually the producer for the original 1938 War of the Worlds. 
and they wanted to try and create. He must have been old by then. Yeah, and he's like Jesus I'm, Christ, I'm clinging onto it with his with his bony hands. He when radio plays died, he would die. Yes, he's like a god <laughs> sustained by worship. He is the Dorian Gray of radio dramas. <laughs> so they're like they decided to try and create new audio dramas, which would ap- appeal to the modern audience, and they started doing a couple. And they wanted to adapt something that was mainstream and popular. And they thought, what if we did Star Wars? What if we just make a radio version of the of the Star Wars movies? And like, that would be great. That Star Wars is a ton of sound effects, a lot of dialogue, a lot of character. We can do that. But the licensing fees are going to be astronomical. We can't get a main property of that. Luckily for them, George Lucas was an alumni of that university. And when they asked him about it, he went, hell yeah, I'll help out my university. That sounds really cool. I love radio dramas. And he sold them the rights to use the music and the sound effects for $1. So I like the action scenes narrated by like a narrator. Here's where, where the radio play will fall down. Yeah. Uh, the radio play shines when a lot of uh, this adaptation, they've actually written new content for. Written new scenes, which are either in drafts or in bits of the scripts, deleted scenes. And you can really tell the scenes which were written for a radio play and the ones which were written for a film. The radio play ones will still have sound effects and action going on uh, and it won't feel overly descriptive. Uh, there'll be a land speeder chase and Luke will be like, oh shit, watch out. Oh no, it's okay. Wait, shit, the stabilizer's busted. And stuff will happen. There's, but there are scenes which are obviously can't be done in radio, such as the scene where they're escaping from the Death Star and they have to shoot down TIE fighters from those ball turrets. Yeah, like, isn't the climax of A New Hope when he destroys the Death Star, like... And he, like, gets... They, like, shoots through the vent or whatever the hell it is? A and lot of a lot of that can be done in dialogue, but there are a lot of... There's going to be a lot of scenes in this which are very visual. You'd, you'd have to be, like, an anime character or Jojo... A Jojo character describing everything you're doing. As yeah, you're doing so it. this this scene where they're escaping from the Death Star, it amounts to a lot of pew pew pew. Oh no, did you get it? Pew pew pew. Yes, I just shot that one. Pew pew pew, and <laughs> it it kind of falls apart. I am winning the battle. <laughs> yes, there's says the soldier. <laughs> so the radio play is not perfect, uh, but especially the first two chunks of it stuck with me as some really interesting storytelling, and because Star Wars has such an incredible embellishment and reliance upon its sound effects to establish its universe. Sounds like Darth Vader's breathing, like the blaster rifles that they use, like the engines of the spaceships. Ben Burt, the sound designer of Star Wars, is a god among men and uh, makes Star Wars half of what it is. And because they have those sounds in it, they're able to make this really interesting stuff out of it. I would agree with that. that Star Wars as a franchise is based... like When you think about everything iconic about Star Wars, so much of it is audio. Yeah, like be it John Williams soundtrack, be it like the lightsaber sound, be it the blasters. It's all a lot of what kind of makes Star Wars. You can tell something is Star Wars probably by just listening to a track. Yep, ideally, it does and have I'm, a lot of very visual iconography as well, though. Absolutely, it does, but I don't think it needs it because it has enough audio on its own. You can do Star Wars without without visual, and uh, yeah, if you do it right, though. Um, so bits of this will be better than other bits. The whole thing is broken up into volumes because they're not. Uh, they basically expanded the first film to a four-hour production, and this was screened over like several days or weeks or whatever, something like that. Um, they then, after this, went on to do *Empire Strikes Back* and *Return of the Jedi*. Uh, each of them getting a little bit smaller as they did. Um, the events that we will see. Uh, in the first few volumes of this are explicitly non-canon for those that are interested. Uh, they do explicitly 
contradict uh, at least three other Star Wars stories as to how they got the Death Star plans. Most famously, Rogue One recently. But for all of my childhood, this radio play was how they actually got the Death Star plans. Did they just find it lying around? No. In the sand? They, they, people die. Uh, not Bothans, but people do die to get the Death Star plans. We lost, lost 10,000 spies getting this. Slaughtered. Yes. We sent them in like an army. In retrospect, <laughs> not their skill set. But, you know... Turns out when a million guys disguise as dudes, it still looks like it a million guys. It still looks like a million dudes just walking <laughs> up to something. We really haven't got the espionage aspect of this sci-fi warfare down just yet. Wait, so it's like A New Hope, but also a prequel to A New Hope? Yes. Okay. Uh, it Like, the first few volumes take place before the events of the film. Mm-hmm. It concerns with uh, what Leia was doing. But pretty much, you know the opening crawl of yes. Star Wars? How uh, it says, okay. the Rebels have just won their space first space factory, and... Leia's running the plans to somewhere. Basically, they do that. Uh, they describe how Leia was involved in the rebellion, how she got the plans, how she wound up on Tatooine. There's also some stuff of what the hell, what was Luke's life like on Tatooine beforehand? This farming moisture and hating it and, and hating being. It. Like, I don't want to be here, Uncle. Of course he didn't. It's... Who fucking wants to be on Sand Planet farming moisture? Yeah, and he wanted to go out. With his friends, Biggs Darklighter, who is a character that does appear in episode four, but because his earlier scene was deleted, makes no sense when he dies and there's no payoff. He's one of the fighters that dies in the Death Star Trench run, and it's an incredibly dramatic moment and would be made even any would have some emotional weight if we knew who the fuck this guy was. And thanks to this radio play, you will now know who this guy was. That's good. So yeah, uh I really love radio plays. Uh I think that they're a, they're a really cool and immersive way and that's why I've liked how a lot of podcasts have started to do them like the Magnus Archives the Magnus Archives the it's advent- a podcast <laughs> the Adventure Zone you could probably class as it as well uh, there's also the Sojourn which I haven't watched but I do need to watch which is a hard sci-fi thing done in a kind of the Expanse sort of setting the, yeah I think it's a great medium I'm really glad that podcasts are allowing them to come back and this is one that uh, I've watched a whole bunch in my childhood, which I think is really cool. And is also just going to be funny when it when you can s- visually, visually see the scenes where it falls apart. And it's like, oh, this scene was written for radio. This scene wasn't. This scene was very much not. It's a new. This is going to be interesting because A New Hope really doesn't hold up very well in mm. comparison to a lot of other Star Wars movies, even in the original trilogy. Yeah. When I've gone back and watched it, I'm like. Because my partner Sarah had never seen Star Wars and I made her watch every single one of them and she is still lukewarm on it mm-hmm. as an idea. But I, we were watching it. I started with like, let's start with the original trilogy. That's like, that's where most people start. We'll go with that. And the first one of that is A New Hope. And she's like, this is not a good looking movie. And I'm like, no, it is not. I didn't realize how bad this movie looks mm, most it, of it is just them running around corridors the whole time yeah it's, it's not and it's got this well. weird kind of buddy comedy kind of vibe to it where mm. they're like wow you know yeah. i'm just gonna pretend to be a stormtrooper because i'm hard solo and it's just it it's weirdly all over the place tonally yeah you can tell they were kind of like we don't know how to make this into it's, something yet it's very plainly the hero's journey and yeah. uh a lot of it doesn't age well in terms of scope like uh, they built a moon-sized battle station. That is, and that is just so insane in size and scope and scale. Because you then, decades later, we get to the video game Halo, and we see the Halo rings, which are these incredible mega structures, and we're filled with awe and grandeur. These 
impossibly advanced structures that humanity could never in a million years make only an alien race could do this and the empire is like it's basically treated like a battleship yeah. like a like mm -hmm. the empire of britain has just built a new battleship that's really fast uh and when luke kills it and the millions of workers which were <laughs> maintaining it and having to be on there it's just like yay there's Star Wars has always had that problem to an extent because even in the new trilogy, and I know a lot of people hate those, but I didn't mind it because um, probably because I don't take Star Wars as seriously as a lot of people do. Yeah, and that's but good. They had um like they had Starkiller, which was like it's a whole planet and it absorbs the sun. I'm like that is an insane thing. How could you build that? Mm. Like, and they're like, oh, we didn't know they had that. Like, you didn't know they had that. It's a whole planet. Like, how does that go missing? Yeah. How do you just let someone? tunnel into the middle of a planet and build this weapon that shoots this giant beam yeah i gotta say i'm not really much of a star wars fan mm -hmm. and that's part part of the reason why because i grew up on star trek <laughs> and um star trek like it's not exactly super scientifically accurate at I'll least not anymore grant you that but what do you mean I not anymore <laughs> wasn't then either but yes go ahead well no they did but, they did predate dark holes like the first original series episode which have features dark holes they call them dark stars and like it was a cutting edge scientific concept at the time and then several years later got officially named black holes like they they do a dabble in research papers to get some elements some right. plot scripts sure keep going but like um Growing up on Star Trek was probably what got me hooked on world building because they go into a lot of effort to establish, okay, this is the Alpha Quadrant, there's other quadrants over there, we've got these species and these species are part of the um, the Federation and these aren't and blah, 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 blah. And lots of, lots of uh, effort is put into, put into like situating mm -hmm. like yes. who is what and where and when and blah, 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 blah. And I never really, maybe it's just you have to go in, I, I guess you have to go into the um, like... Ex yeah, universe with Star Wars. Star Wars, as I say, has that in droves, but it doesn't have. The problem with Star Wars in that is that it only had movies for so long. Yeah, it never had a TV show to build all of this on. But watching the Star Wars movies, I never really got the sense of why I should care about what's going on because I never really got the sense of what was the philosophy of this thing and like, like I don't know. It just felt like I've, I've been dropped into some kind of location and i didn't really understand the the history or the the philosophies of the different teams or or like how everything related to each other and for that reason i just couldn't bring myself to mm. really care about any of it that's something that star wars struggles with a lot um i would say the new trilogy struggles with the most uh i'm not a new trilogy basher i think there's a lot it could have done better um it's possible entertainment but i'm not here to this isn't the I think, Rise of Skywalker I podcast. was disappointed with the new trilogy in that it didn't commit to the direction I felt that some of the people who were hemming that wanted it to go. Mm -hmm. Because I loved, I loved, um, what was the middle one again? The Last Jedi. Last, I oh. loved The Last Jedi. Yep. Uh, and I would have loved to have seen the ideas in that taken to a logical conclusion. Like, hmm. But they were so ups, they listened so much to the angry nerd backlash that they reversed all of it and they ruined everything hmm. about it, I felt. I um, actually really enjoyed The Last Jedi, but just for the horniness. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I loved about it. I'm like, they, yeah, sure. But people are like, oh, they can't be horny for each other. So, yeah, again, why not? Like, this, that's actually interesting. God forbid they introduce a new interesting concept to this rehash of the original trilogy. You know, like, it's, I like that about it. Oh, that, that, it that's like, 
everything I like about Star Wars. It's just that one horny relationship. There's um, something that... uh, I'm currently re-watching the Star Wars films with a friend and we're we're going to do the machete order, which is one, two... Uh, four, five, one, two, three, six. The idea being that you introduce Luke and the Empire, then you find out that Vader is his mm-hmm. father. Then instead, you go back, watch the prequels mm-hmm. to get Vader's backstory, and then you finish it off with Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of like, well, like Star Wars is intent on dropping you in and going, "This is normal." You find twenty aliens at a bar, whatever. That guy's called Joe. Who cares? And that's part of the shtick of it. As far as like setting the scope of the state of the galaxy who, what you're fighting for some star wars does that better than others and uh while i love a lot of expanded universe for star wars it should not be anywhere required to understand the films no uh, expanded universe should build on it should not be required to explain and the sequels i feel ended up just feeling like the resistance is just a gang fighting the first order that's just another gang you never see any civilians you never see anybody care. The Last Jedi explicitly says that the galaxy doesn't care about these guys doing anything and don't turn up to help them. But then... Until they do. In in the last one, in droves out yes. of nowhere from like a 12-hour warning because Lando went, hey guys, I'm pretty hot. You should follow me. And they all went, yeah, you're it's pretty hot. convincing. You've convinced me. Yes. See, the, those movies are just all built upon horniness. They are. Mm. It's... Look, Star Wars does have a lot of really cool lore in it, but it's just a lot of... You would probably like playing the Old Republic, which really gives you the reason why you should care about anything that happens because it's set, like, how long before any of the... I think it's, like, 3,000 years before. 3,000 years? That would probably help. Uh, Old Republic famously has a fantastic story. I haven't played it, but I've watched full plays because I hate the gameplay. Um, But, yeah, it has got a fantastic story. It's got a great breakdown of what the force is and what a nightmare it actually is yeah that's that's like kind of the details i'm interested in which is why i love all the like philosoph- philosophical droning and techno babble of star trek mm. the knights of the republic 2 is the deep space nine of star trek ah, yeah, so okay. i think that would be something you'd really enjoy either of those two games really really good they were done by bioware when bioware was good all right um and yeah kotor 2 was actually done by i believe obsidian they like farmed it out and got given 18 like eight months to make the game and so half of it's unfinished there's a mod you can yes. use to restore chunks of it but it's it's a miracle that it's as good as it is um yeah i think obsidian's also good they yeah. they farmed out a lot to obsidian like Neverwinter obsidian Nights did too. uh new vegas i think yeah they did they did yeah. a lot of great stuff mm. uh obsidian but yeah it's worth um if you're willing to do the dive star wars lore is good but there's a lot of it a lot of it there's a reason why disney decided you know what extended universe doesn't count anymore for movies and honestly that's a fine decision because there was they couldn't possibly have written a um like a movie series that wouldn't have contradicted something in the extended mm. universe it was that extensive i personally like the way star trek did that and they just created a split timeline like in canon yeah, I think that the way the JJ verse did it is a fantastic textbook example of how you do it. You, if you've got a, especially for a sci-fi show, you can just do another timeline and say, "Fuck it, we're over there now." Uh, well, maybe things will drop in from time to time, uh, but this is our own shit. We don't, we aren't beholden to anything. Mm. Um, there is also a lot of really dumb Star Wars lore, which is super funny. Yeah, Star Wars is a bit of a mixed bag. Similar to Star, any big, Star Trek has that. Oh, yeah. any big. Um, like franchises, Star Trek, Star Wars, Marvel. There, there's so much shit crap you need mm-hmm. to sift through. There is a fan theory that uh, I keep uh, letting everyone I find out know about 
there's like a pretty decently sized website that someone's made about the bigger Luke theory. The theory that yeah, yeah, in that. in canon there is a slightly larger Luke phasing in and out with the other Luke Skywalker as the movies progress. And they do this by referencing how tall Luke is compared to Han Solo. And they scrape the bottom of the barrel for evidence, such as one of the things that they point to as characters being aware of this uh, is that uh, when Luke first uses the lightsaber to deflect some things, he goes, I could almost see the, the remote in my mind. And Obi-Wan goes, you've taken your first step into a larger world. You see, they <laughs> could have just set the sequel trilogy in the bigger U- Luke's universe. I haven't gone to as deep into the bigger Luke theory to know for certain, but they, I hope that they that the bigger Luke theory persists, uh, and that this is the bigger Luke timeline. So Star Wars, I think, is. I do think if I were forced to choose between, I want you to watch five hours of Star Trek or five hours of Star Wars content. Um, I think I prefer Star Wars as a setting because I like its focus more on. It's a little bit just let's have a fun. Mm. I think. It's swashbuckling adventure. It's also very emotional compared to Star Trek's rational kind of approach to things, and I think I prefer that mm-hmm. um, in short doses. If you ask me to watch, you have six months where you have to pick one of these. I'd probably pick Star Trek um, for mm-hmm. the opposite reason that I would probably get sick of <laughs> it all. I think it just depends on what you're kind of looking for. Yeah, I, I definitely don't think that the franchises should compete with each other. They offer very different things, and they're both very good at it. Or, in some cases, incredibly bad at it. Um, yeah, I guess it is. As a Trekkie, I'll be the first to admit that most Star Trek is bad. Yep. <laughs> as, a Star Wars, as a Star Wars fan, I'll admit most Star Wars films are bad. I mean, like, Star Trek... Well, basically, all, almost all of DS9 is good. And yeah. then there's Star Trek First Contact, which is, like, the best movie ever made. <laughs> Voyager <laughs> is good for a bit and it stays good depending on how horny you are <laughs> is a theory I have where because Voyager very quickly falls into the issue that a lot of Star Trek series have where it's like uh this thing again they always find like here's a reason why only this person can be awake and everyone else has to go to sleep for a bit and something fucked up is going to happen that happens like yeah. five times in Voyager yeah Voyager is yeah. all about the nostalgia for me because I was raised on it yeah Voyager was mine as well but I guess they I was when we were watching Voyager um, I, when we started watching, I would have been like 10, 11, 12, somewhere around there. And it was like, this is just cool because it's Voyager. And eventually it was like, I was 13, 14, 15. And I was like, man, seven is hot. <laughs> and it kind of became a little bit more about that. Um, and then they were like, also now she's dating Chakotay. And I was like, what? <laughs> that was what? Like- <laughs> Yeah. Fucking what now? <laughs> That's why is Chakotay alive? I remember there was a thing where they were like some future crew members came back in an episode and like, yeah, Chakotay's dead. I'm like, good, fuck him. <laughs> Who cares about Chakotay? He's the least interesting character. Uh my mom had a huge crush on Chakotay. Uh, I um uh, actually like um Chakotay in January was like my first ship but at that age I didn't understand what shipping was so I was really confused about my emotions and really embarrassed and it was like my dirty little secret that I really wanted these two characters to fuck and I didn't know why and then I went on to, on the, onto the internet and I was like oh everyone's a freak okay yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can be honest about this they like do an episode of uh, Janeway and Chakotay get trapped on a planet because yeah. like they've got some weird sickness and the crew is like you might have to live out the rest of your lives on this planet unless 
we can figure something out so stay there have a beautiful life and Chakotay's like hell yeah I love this I'm gonna build a wood cabin we're gonna have great fun and Janeway's uh, and he's like getting super excited about it all and then eventually Janeway's like you know but we are just doing this until I get a cure right and Chakotay's heart breaks yeah. he's like oh I mean I guess I guess I we guess are. we are he's but- like building <laughs> Like a home sweet home. Yeah. He's just like, oh, man. And then they get cured and Chakotay's like, oh, I guess I better go fuck seven a season later. My <laughs> issue with Chakotay is that his whole character thing is I am the captain of like a rebel ship kind of thing and we're forced to cooperate. It's an issue for about a season. <laughs> yeah, And I then know. he's like, I'm 100% on board with you now. And I'm yeah. like, great. See, that's just now how horny for Janeway he was. <laughs> The whole everyone was horny for Jane. Yeah, they were. That's why. The, Can't that's blame why him. the end. They should have ended up with Jacote, Jane, and Seven in a threesome. That would have been the best ending to the show. I I just don't think Jacote should have gotten any kind of. He should have died eventually. Uh, I, I, as a, as a, I'm really proud that I was able to derail a podcast about <laughs> Star Wars into discussion about Star Trek. Don't worry, <laughs> we're all Star Trek and Star Wars fans here, except yes. well, news, and we'll see about that. Yes. Um. Look. I don't have a whole lot to ask about mm-hmm. any of this, but uh, what I guess I will say is, what is it about this that stuck with you? A, a large thing that stuck with me was, well, I listened to the first two volumes of this back to back, back to back, back to back as a kid. I haven't actually listened to the full thing myself. Really? Um, That'd be good. No. Uh, I've listened to like sections of it when I did eventually find a source for the whole thing. Uh, and I did skip to some of the more visual sections to go, well, how does this work? And then I went, oh, okay. Not at all. No. <laughs> but the at least the initial parts of it, uh, I thought, I still think back on in terms of the lore and world building that it does set up, which makes the rest of the film so much stronger. And some of the emotional power that it puts into it. Um, it's in like uh, one of the first episodes Leia kills the first person she's ever killed and she is ruined by it and that kind of context for what Leia does for the Rebel Alliance where she comes from what she thinks about it and what she's suffered through for it I think builds her character incredibly we see how lonely Luke was on Tatooine and we see the one friend that he had leave him and we see it explains more of like what was his life like on Tatooine it wasn't just him and his aunt and uncle he must have known other people well he did and none of them really liked him yeah. um <laughs> <laughs> we see just how lonely Fuck luke, off, wa- luke we see just how lonely luke was and why why he just on a, almost on a whim within a couple of hours decides to go off with this old random wizard and fucking leave this planet in, in the dust um why did they like him uh because he was a nerd Okay, it's fair a, enough. It's a, it's a Actually, I can relate to that. I was simp. Like, I'm from the Pilbara. I'm a Trekkie from the Pilbara. <laughs> That's pretty relatable. Yeah, like he has... There's like a bunch of kids his age who hang out at uh, a nearby place called Toshi Station. Uh, and they're all kind of like the cool kids. But it's also just they're the only kids that age who are local. And when you've got such a small sample size, there's not going to be another nerd. You're going to be the nerd. And so Luke's just getting shit on by everyone else. Uh, and his best friend Biggs is the only one who stands up for him, but then Biggs leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, so it had this really gripping storytelling uh, for it. It used its sound effects in such a way that I could picture this vividly in my head 
Uh, and yeah, I, I love the storytelling that it did. I think it did it effectively. Uh, it's what kind of sold me on radio plays and why I've ha since gone through and looked at a bunch of them. Um, I went to a stage production of the War of the Worlds radio play where a bunch of people stood in that front of microphones sick. and we had a, honest to God, real world sound board, a board with different items to make sounds with, which is what a soundboard is. And it was fantastic. I oh, loved wait. it. You're not talking about the War of the Worlds musical, are you? Not the musical. Oh, okay. No. I, was uh, that. I haven't seen that on stage. Um, I want to. Have you listened to it? I've watched the DVD and listened to the soundtrack. Okay. So yeah, I, I know all about that. That's fantastic. But this was a, uh, a local theater stage production of the radio play. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought it was fantastic. Um, so yeah, it stuck with me because the uh, I think it lends itself really well to the medium when it's written for it. It shows the, pow the power of radio, mm -hmm. one might say. Uh, and it just filled in a lot of gaps to the Star Wars storyline, which for a long time uh, we didn't have any context for. I would, I still love Rogue One. I think Rogue One's the best Star Wars film. Um, but I would it, agree with that, actually. Yeah, yeah. It, it it does mean blow everything in this radio play is just completely blown out of the water by Rogue One. Like uh, Rogue One means that none of this could have happened. It is completely non-canon as a result. I still like this story. I don't think it's better than Rogue One, but I think it is still a really good story. Wonderful. Look, I don't have very much else to add. Anything you want to add, Claire? Uh, I'm slightly more interested in it than I was at the beginning of this. Okay, half that hour, sounds so. great. That's, that's like enough. That's a, that's a little job. bit. I'll take it. For the sake of the listener at home, what exactly are we listening to? Is there like, how many parts is it? How long is how it? How long is it? That's a good so, one. So, uh, and also where can they find it if that is relevant? All right, so this is the Star Wars uh, 1981 uh, radio play. Uh, it was done by National Public Radio. Uh, as far as duration, let me just grab that. So where would they find it? Do you know? Just I don't know. You don't know? Okay. <laughs> Go to the 80s and listen to it on the radio or find a cassette. Yes. This is like pretty goddamn out of print. Okay. Um, but you somehow found it. So I have somehow found do. it over the internet. There okay. is a... There's actually a podcast about this radio play called A Wind to Shake the Stars. I listened to one or two of the episodes yeah. of it. It's just a guy goes through each episode and finds out interesting details about how it was made and sure. shit like that. Okay. Um, but you can find this somewhere. This is something that I doubt Disney will release. It's it's such a like offshoot random bit of content. Uh, even though there has been some recent discussions where writers of current Star Wars content are going back to the, this radio play and pulling elements out of it for like mm -hmm. the comics or some of the other novels and shit. Find it on YouTube. Find it across the internet uh, where you feel that you can. This is a pretty out of print thing so it may be a bit fiddly to find. Um, uh, good luck. Selling this for $1 was probably the nicest thing George Lucas ever did because he turned into a real jerk eventually. Uh, right. Yeah, because there's that whole of like, oh, I'll support my my university and blah 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 back when you patroned your university for helping you do stuff back when universities helped you do stuff yes. i have no idea what he's doing at the moment uh nothing much because he was banned from doing anything to do with star wars because his ideas were terrible oh really yeah wow his okay. ideas were really really bad um like what like a lot of the prequel trilogy um he just he the prequel trilogy like there's a lot of deliberately a lot of people say that, oh you're reading into it there's a lot of deliberate racism in there like jar jar binks is quite deliberately meant to be a caricature of a black person um because george lucas kept giving the actor things like remember to walk more like a black person oh, and the person who plays jar jar is black um so <laughs> it's that you need to walk more like a black person walks and he gave him this like gangstery kind of 
frog like walk like that's how they walk like that's yeah and when think about how Jar Jar Binks talks and put it in the context of a caricature of like a Jim Crow like black caricature from the 1800s and all of a sudden it makes there, it doesn't come across well. Episode one has a lot of pretty racist accents. Yeah. Uh, for a long time, I knew that they were racist, but I couldn't actually piece what race they were racist <laughs> against. The Nemoidians are Asian. Yeah. Uh, that is not good eagle. Yes. Um, and we have Watto, who is a Jewish caric- uh, yeah. caricature uh, because he's a merchant who swindles you. Yes. <laughs> he's got a big nose and a curly like hair next to his uh, stuff. Is that, that little flying thing? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So there's... um. There's a lot of that in there, and I don't think he is even remotely. He just never seems to have good ideas anymore, and so I can see why I didn't let him because he's. In my view, George Lucas lit the spark, yeah. and everything good out of Star Wars since then has been despite him. Yes, pretty much, because um, he pretty much wrote Star Wars on a napkin in a pit in like a waiting room for a pitch because he didn't have a pitch, and he just this is the setting. It's and the hero's journey kinda... with samurai, but it's in space. He didn't care about this until the second movie because the first one ended up being a surprise success. He's like, oh, if people care about it, I guess I'll try. Hmm. Whereas with like, Gene Roddenberry, they didn't want him le- to have any more control over Star Trek because he just made everything too horny all the time. Gene Roddenberry, yeah, he kind of lost the plot uh, yes. towards the end. Early seasons of TNG. Um, do we have a length? We do have a length. Uh, it is 13 episodes, each uh, 28 minutes. Uh, that comes to six and a half hours in total runtime. Cool, perfect. Um, so, should we... Jump into it. Should we hyperfixate? Yep. Let's go to a galaxy far, far away. Let's rock. All right. Uh, Cool. So we've just gone and watched the Star Wars radio play dramatization of Star Wars Episode Four: New Hope. First broadcast in uh, March 2nd, 1981, because I have the wiki page open. Yay. Information about it. Uh, boy, it was long. It was, but not as long as it sounded because like 10 minutes of it was credits and yes. ambient music at the end of every episode. Yeah, and I think that like uh, the half hour like chunks, and yeah, it was effectively like 20 minute chunks. Yeah. Um, it was actually, I do like it being chopped up in that way. Um, it was easily consumable, each little chunk. There were just a lot of chunks to get through. There were a decent amount, yes, but it was, look, it was pretty much a new hope of a few extra bits, mm. right? Yeah. <coughs> I actually really enjoyed this more than I thought I would, to be mm-hmm. honest. Oh, that's uh, great. Not because I don't like Star Wars, but I was just like, oh, it's a new hope. But mm. I would argue that this is a better introduction to Star Wars than A New Hope is now. Yeah, I would yeah, say. I could say that. Because A New Hope as a movie doesn't hold up very well, mm-hmm. in my opinion, in terms of its visuals and all of that. And it's very hokey. Mm-hmm. The reason, like, I also. I uh, think A New Hope is one of the worst Star Wars films by comparison now. I think it's more that uh, it's very simple uh, in its plot structure and just not a lot ends up happening. Later films have packed a lot more detail and yeah. uh, interesting storylines. And like our, the comparison between episode four and seven is that everyone has something to do in seven and is good at something. There's a lot of points in episode four where characters just disappear or hanging around or not doing anything yeah. and it's just there yeah and there's also no depth to anyone because they don't know what they want to do with anyone in four yeah that's asian this one they did like the, they really fleshed out luke mm. to be someone who's not just like i live on a farm and my aunt and uncle were turned into skeletons yeah 
Um, yeah, like something I notice is that there's so much breathing room for the characters. Uh, we see Leia grieve Alderan. We see Luke mourn his aunt and uncle. Uh, we see Han try to justify running from the Rebel Alliance. Uh, so many little moments of uh, which are effectively cut out of the film, but implied, where the characters are just like, okay, it's a three-hour drive to Mos Eisley. And the radio plays like, okay, well, like they're not just going to sit in silence the whole time. They're going to talk about <laughs> what just happened. I like the idea that they would, though. <laughs> what do you think, Claire? Uh, I'll be honest. I wasn't looking forward to listening to this. Um, mm. I think I saw the movie two times when I was a kid. The first time I thought it was boring. The second time confirmed my original feelings. Um, so, yeah, when you said this was going to be like a six-hour version of that movie, <laughs> I was like, no. Yeah, I, I do apologize for um, so setting yeah. this such a trap. So, yeah, I loved it. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I ended actually uh, listened to it a while ago because I ended up staying up late and binging it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I don't know if it was the extra scenes that were added or if I've I've just changed since I was a kid, or um, I just went in with such low expectations. Mm-hmm. But I, I I really enjoyed it. That's fantastic. Yeah, awesome. What did you like about it this time? Um. Well, for one thing, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts um, lately, and they're all like, like a Welcome to Night Vale, uh, the Magnus Archives, a few other ones, and they all seem to like fit that same kind of format now where it's a bit meta where everything that you hear is like recorded in universe you know mm. um and like that can lead to some very clever kind of um very clever kind of justifications for why that is uh but um s- sometimes it can feel a bit limiting like, where it always has to like be limited by yeah, their recording uh, for a reason and it was nice for a start to have a um T- to listen to like a proper radio play where it's just like a show that's audio instead of mm. like having to have some kind of special format behind that. And yeah, yeah I'd like to have more podcasts like that. Yeah, because like Welcome to Night Vale is uh, you are hearing what's his face uh, in the radio booth and occasionally cutting out to other situations happening in uh, Limetown. You are listening to this person's radio broadcast that they have pre made and occasionally they'll be like, now I'm going to show you a bit that, w- or like one episode will say, like I'm actually recording this live right now. So if anything happens, that's my bad. But it's also always within that context. Yeah, and so like, and in the Magnus archives, it's all well it built in an explanation directly into the narrative. But we probably shouldn't. Spoil yeah, that. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, and also, um, I was like never attached to any of the original series, like the original trilogy characters. I was like a huge fat wet meh towards <laughs> all of them like i didn't care about luke i didn't care about leia i snored when han was killed in yeah what they're like whatever but now, now like i love them oh <laughs> like, yeah like this is a much more positive reaction fair, i was expecting yeah this goes back to the weird phenomena with star wars which is the movies are the worst ambassadors for the series in my opinion yeah that um because the movies never tell you anything. Like, the movies very rarely give you a reason to dislike the Empire other than they blew up a planet for seemingly no reason. 
Um, it's yeah. There was always an annoying amount of the empire's bad because we told you that they do slavery because and they do all this stuff, but we never see. You never a lot see of it. any of that in this one. At least you hear about pilots from the academy disappearing and weird torture chambers and all mm. of that. Like it feels like an oppressive regime. It doesn't feel like just the general infrastructure. Yeah, <laughs> and these people don't like. Mm. It's run by. It happens to be run by an evil wizard. And you're given like some context for what the planet they're blowing up is. It's yes. like a elf bohemian Sweden. Yes. And you're like, oh no, there goes elf bohemian Sweden. Yeah, and, and we have the uh, the occupation of Raltia at the beginning uh, of. They're just on the ground after this big battle has happened. And Leia's like, oh, I came here to like give relief supplies. What the fuck's going on? It's like, oh, yeah, we had to exterminate them. What? You mean like a couple of... No, all of them. Everyone. They're all like dead. The, yes. the High Council, the line is like, the High Council no longer exists either as a political entity or as individuals. <laughs> they are all dead. I love that line. <laughs> Leia's like, you, what? You killed them all. <laughs> That's great. I also... It's weird and... This also this does happen in movie episode four as well, but they haven't quite figured out like the political situation fully yet because Darth Vader is taking orders from civilian governors. Yeah, like he's just they're like, "Well, I outrank you, Vader," and he's like, "Well, well, I guess you do." <laughs> yeah, there's this um, man fell into a volcano for this <laughs> to be ordered around by General Tarkin. Like, <laughs> so like uh, all of the expanded law that plugs into Episode Four gives such an interesting and rich uh, idea of the imperial bureaucracy and how that all functions, completely absent from episode, episode yeah, 4. Yeah, there's like way more political intrigue in this. Yeah. Like, there's the whole idea of, um, retroactively, Vader is meant to be a tragedy in that he was promised ultimate power by Palpatine and now he is a whipping boy and gets joked and shat on by the Imperial Moffs. And they're like, you're fucking, you weird religious nut job. Fuck you. We're the actual cool it's guys. It's kind of weird that they think that, though, considering it's a known fact he can kill people with yeah, his mind. It is like explicit. <laughs> they treat him like he's he follows some kind of weird, zany, mm. like spaghetti monster, this isn't real religion. When there's... Quantifiably. Like, quantifiably what he believes is true. It's... It's really weird how little respect he gets considering hmm. he can kill you with a laser sword. There's also like in terms of uh, just a grander political context, there's like one line in episode four, you blink and you miss it. I missed it for like 20 years. But when Tarkin walks into the conference room, uh, he said someone's worrying about like the Imperial Senate of like we can't be seen to be being this outrageously evil because the Senate will get on our dicks. And Tarkin walks in like, don't worry, we just killed him. Or like, we just got rid of the Senate. Like, what do you mean? Like, the Imperial Senate is gone. We are now the governors. We have 100% fascistized this. And the Senate they're talking about is the Senate from Star Wars Episode One. Yeah. Uh, I was a bit confused. So Luke was talking about wanting to join the Academy. Mm -hmm. Was the Academy, like, part of the Empire or was it something separate? No. The way that I assume it would work is the Academy is probably, like, a regional uh, university sort of thing. Uh, a regional military academy for, like, say, a the sector's local military force. Um, and in theory, they would be responsible for like running and defending their military. But in practice, the Empire just poaches everybody from there. The way that, that I thought sense. it worked was that it's kind of like, if you were to train to be a pilot, you would go to pilot school, right? Yeah. But um, because once you're trained to be a pilot, you are then eligible to be drafted into the Imperial right, yeah, Army drafting. because you now know how to fly. And so while a lot of people became qualified for being pilots, they would then be drafted into the... So effectively, while it wasn't officially an imperial 
like institution, it was often it was usually the thing that fed their pilots. I also imagine that uh, it probably effectively ran a monopoly. The empire would probably shut down other academies, and yeah. so the only option Luke would have had to get pilot school training is this imperial sponsored academy. And he's like, well, what else am I gonna do? And then Biggs is like, join the rebellion. It's like. No, what are you talking about? That's I, crazy. I don't know how to fly a, a, a ship yet. How yeah. am I going to do that? Those early scenes on Tatooine reminded me of Greece for some reason. Yeah. So like, uh, yeah, he's hanging around with fucking what's his name? The dickhead. Uh, oh, so there's Biggs Darklight, which is best friend. There's uh, Tank, I think, is the the dickhead. Um, to be fair, they were old dickheads. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's there's a one, George Lucas' first film is like THX one one three or something, uh, which I've never actually seen. But, like, directly before episode four, he did a film which was all about, like, teenagers in their cars. Yeah. Uh, so, like, during those scenes where they're all in Tatooine talking, I just imagine them all, like, having grease in their hair and they're just, like, having combs. Yeah. And, like, like, the whole the, uh, shtick that George Lucas did try to shove into, especially episode four and other bits, was uh, the, the context of, uh, like, Han is just tricking up a hot rod um, and he's proud of his car and he does all these cool things to it. Um, Luke, it, like that's the sort of environment that the youth grows up in. Um, that they are kind of punks by just like plugging together whatever they find and having fun with it and building shit from it. What's the deal with Star Wars and just shitty desert worlds? Like Anakin and Luke were both from Tatooine, I think, and then Ray was from Jakku, which is like exactly the same as Tatooine, apparently. That suffers a little bit. Um, the newest trilogy suffers a bit from we need to just make this exactly like the original yeah. trilogy, mm. which is why it's another desert planet. And, and the there aren't actually that many of them. There's just two, and they uh, happen to feature quite heavily. But, like, I, I watched a bit of The Mandalorian, and everywhere he seems to go is also desert planets. Like it's I th- cheap, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think that does are probably cheap for filming um, and easy, and they also have, like, the, the aesthetics of a wilderness, and Star Wars likes to be a western. Um, I'm I'm would assume that I'm fine with there being an abundance of desert worlds. The only thing that always bothered me about it was Tatooine coming up all all the fucking time. Yeah, when Episode Seven was coming out and we were seeing pictures of uh, what we didn't know at the time, we just saw a desert planet. I was crossing my fingers, praying to fucking anything that I could find. Please God, let this not be Tatooine, because Tatooine is. The whole idea of Tatooine is it is in the arse end of the galaxy, the planet that is farthest from, as Luke refers to it. Nothing interesting ever happens yeah, there. It, it shouldn't come up all the time. Pick another desert planet. I don't care if it looks identical. Just And they call it Jakku, yeah. and I was like, thank God. Is yeah, Tatooine the heart of Jabba's empire? It's where Jabba... Yeah, like, I think that's probably Tatooine's only claim to fame, I guess, that it is controlled by the huts. Which, uh, Qui-Gon says that. Because yeah. um, it's hut space. Yeah, it, it's in hut space. It's also weirdly close to Naboo, which is weird. Like, they were able to get to Tatooine from Naboo on sublight because um, the hyperdrive busted. And like, what's the nearest planet we can fly to? Well, there's Tatooine. And they're like, but that's controlled by the huts. And it's like, yeah, but they're not looking for us. The Trade Federation is. It's, all, it's our option. Yeah, I, I, I thought it, like, um, in this, they were like, uh, as Luke was like, "Oh, I'm from, I'm from nowhere," and they're like, "You, where's nowhere?" And he's like, "Tatooine," and like, "Oh yeah, that's pretty much nowhere." <laughs> and then there's the exact same kind of line in, uh, with between Luke and Ray, in uh, like yeah. number eight, I think it is. Yeah, he's like, "Nobody's from nowhere. I'm from Jakku." Okay, yeah, no right. And I'm like, <laughs> if it was actually nowhere, no one would have heard of it. Like, have you guys heard of Nanya Tara? 
No? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I like the idea that the, the in the colloquial knowledge of the galaxy, um, everyone knows probably 200 planets or something. Wait, uh, wait, wait. Does this mean that Jakku and Tatooine are basically Perth? I have <laughs> thought that my entire life. Uh, Perth... Perth is the city that's farthest from, Perth, Western Australia. Tatooine is described as the same thing. I've I've often liked to uh, contextualize it as that. The only difference is Perth's pretty nice. Yeah, Tatooine definitely looks a lot more like the Pilbara. Also not controlled by huts. Actual Nanyatara. The huts Uh, have no power here. (laughs) This is the McGowan state. Yep, this is the the McGowan daddy state. (laughs) So, yeah, I guess going back to my point around the movies not being great, like ambassadors for Star Wars and that they don't they really don't explain very much mm. about the setting. Like the movies are great for like visually, this is how this looks. And mm. for some people that's enough. But if you really want to get into Star Wars, you if really you're clear. Yes. <laughs> if you really want to get into Star Wars, you gotta go through a lot of the extended universe stuff. So mm. pretty much literally anything that isn't a movie is better at showing you why Star Wars is good than Star Wars the movies. Yeah, like, before the Disney acquisition back, uh, Star Wars had this really complicated system of canon where there was, like, A, B, C, D, E and something. Like, uh, basically, if it happened in the films, it was true. And if anything happened in a source of canon which was ranked above anything else, it overruled it. So uh, when Star Wars Episode One came out, because it was alpha canon, it overruled a bunch of other stuff which had been written. Like, there were comics where uh, the Empire took over before the Jedi Purge, so Obi-Wan was actually working in the Empire for a time because it just hadn't been written yet. No one really knew... Everyone knew that the, de- the Empire killed the Jedi, but no one really knew the transpiration of events. Mm. Um, uh, back in those days, there was a... And it still exists. Like, Disney hasn't shredded all of it. It's more difficult to find these days. But there is still a ton of good stuff, but there is even more junk yes. in the old canon. There's a lot of junk in the old canon. Um, it's, there's a lot of funny stuff in there of just absolutely ridiculous shit. The advantage of the Disney acquisition is it's a lot more concentrated and it's a lot easier to find uh, stuff of generally higher quality. Um, shows like The Clone Wars or Star Wars Rebels. Star Wars Rebels is fantastic. Um, but again, it followed the thing of everything good Star Wars, like the films are the worst part of Star Wars. Uh, if you're interested in any bits of it, maybe watch a couple of the films if you enjoy them and then move on to something else. Even what few video games are come out of Disney, shit though they are, they're pretty great. Uh, the animated shows are fantastic. The TV shows are fantastic. A lot of the books are still very good. Um, yeah, everything good Star Wars is outside of the movies these days. They should really do what like Marvel and Star Trek done and just make the multiverse canon. That that way everyone's happy. Well, no one's ever really happy. But they kind of tried to do that. It didn't really work. Well, they had that before with the really confusing ABC. Yeah, like well, they actually had even more explicit than that. There's, uh, I'm putting on my deep lore Star Wars hat. There was a comic series made of Star Wars called Infinities, um, and Infinities actually later became a type of canon, which was actual multiverse alternate timeline shit um usually in star wars with canon it's just this author got it wrong or that story no longer happened but infinities was uh, a three-part comic series of what if x happened in stars episode four five six in episode four the what if is luke's torpedo 
hits the grate, but it doesn't cause the Death Star to be destroyed. It just damages it a bit. So the Death Star is still able to destroy the base, and Luke is driven insane by failing the rebellion. Um, and the story continues from there. In episode five, the what if is uh, Han's Tauntaun dies uh, a few kilometers out before he finds Luke. So when Han does find Luke, Luke dies of frostbite. Um, and then Obi-Wan appears before Han. He says, Han, you got to go to Dagobah. And Han's like, am I a Jedi? And shit happens from there. So this is like exactly like the Marvel What If series. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, episode six was, I don't remember exactly what the branch resulted in, but um, it in the scene where Leia disguised as some dude is trying to barter Chewbacca for Jabba, um, she pulls out a thermal detonator, but 3PO has been translating. Jabba knocks 3PO and his head comes off, and so he's no longer able to translate. So Leia, instead of trying to like threaten with the thermal detonator, just actually has to use it. <laughs> she gets shot by Boba Fett. Grenade goes off. Jabba gets killed, and just a bunch of shit happens. I can't remember exactly what happened in that, but at the end of the episode four, Infinities, amongst other things, Yoda drives the Death Star into Coruscant. That sounds fucking sick. <laughs> it was pretty sick. Um, yeah. There was some really silly shit in the extended universe, like Luke being able to literally move a planet with the Force. I remember that. Yeah, that happened. I remember there was, a, there was a that machine. That sounds that very move. anime. There was a machine that could move planets. This is the thing that pissed off um, some people completely unreasonably, I should add. Mm-hmm. But um, when, like, Luke. I guess spoilers for every every single Star Wars thing ever. If you don't want that to be ruined, don't listen to this podcast. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but in the Last Jedi, where he dies at the end from exerting himself too much, and they're like, "Luke can move a planet." I'm like, "Luke can't fucking move a planet. He can in one fucking book." <laughs> where Luke moves a planet with his mind. Like, I still think that that was a <laughs> shitty way for Luke to die. Uh, but yeah, the the using that as an excuse <laughs> that's dumb. Um, yeah. As far as like. So, speaking of spoilers as well, um, Star Wars, a famous thing that Star Wars did and has been a part of it for a while is it's in Medias Res beginning. Star Wars Episode Four starts in the middle of shit happening. Um, and that was something that George Lucas always wanted to do, the idea being that this is a uh, Saturday morning serial that you've just tuned in partway through a season. And so that's why the opening credits exist, to catch you up on the story. Um that I've kind of carried through, and a lot of media that I consume these days, I usually don't care too much about spoilers because if there's an interesting bit in it, if I hear about that, even if it's a spoiler, uh, if that gets me into the franchise, it's worth it. Um, and a lot of Star Wars has so much interesting stuff in there that's buried deep in a bunch of bullshit. Um, I like it's my take that uh, I would rather be spoiled for content if if the result is it's interesting enough to get me into it. Um, and I think that, like, Sowers' method of storytelling, of not explaining shit uh, a lot of the time, often did raise questions in my mind, which I could then pursue and learn about. Shit like the cantina scene where aliens are just a thing and no one really remarks on it, even though they do remark on it in the radio play. Like, I get the idea of wanting to jump straight into the action because some shows and movies... Like the beginning is just ugh, just just that big drawn out bit at the beginning where you're just waiting for something interesting to happen. That can be really painful. But in this case, um, like all the stuff from the beginning with like all the kind of like stuff about 
Luke interacting with his friends and his aunt and uncle and Leia's interactions with her father, they made me care about those characters mm-hmm. so much more. Like when I saw the characters and their like the context the context of their like environment and their families and relationships, it I don't know, it just made them way more likable and it made me give a shit about them. Oh yeah, I do agree with that. Like after watching or listening to the entire radio play, I still think that like the rest was like, okay, that was cool. But it's the first four episodes of it that are still the outstanding parts of it of Leia joining uh learning what joining the rebellion is going to mean for her and Luke uh feeling his life slip away uh, and get out of his grasp and feeling trapped though because those are the episodes I had on cassette tape as a kid that I listened to back to back and the conversation between Luke and Biggs is such an emotional moment and I th- it is honestly one of my favorite f- scenes in media almost of um, w- of Luke feeling betrayed by Biggs, Biggs thinking that Luke isn't pushing himself hard enough, uh, and then Biggs confessing not only that he's joining Rebel Alliance, but uh, giving Luke that g- bigger context of, hey, you think I'm good? I went to the academy and everyone is, everyone yes. thought they were good there, so I was just a nobody. Yeah. And then I met a friend, kind of like who I am to you, and they died. And that made me change as a person. And that emotional scene is probably one of my favorite things in Star Wars. So those opening things are definitely still stand out to me. I I'm wondering though if that's also because they they actually add something as opposed to the others, which are then uh, once you get past those first four, it's very much like okay, now we're just doing episode four. Yeah, I think that is a large <laughs> part of it. Um, I was uh I was noting whenever shit would happen in the radio play, which either uh conceivably happened off screen or was new content uh and uh, most of the time after those opening bits it was just uh it wasn't new content the only thing i could think was uh the imperial during the death star attack uh that imperial guy keeps like going to Tarkin and being like hey we could do a coup Tarkin's like shut up (laughs) talk to me later shut up we're in the middle of a battle mate (laughs) (laughs) fuck it out this thing's worked for like three minutes and he's like, we've got a coup, we've got a coup with this now. Yeah. Um, and it was, it's really weird because, so Star Wars Empire at War uh, has a bunch of Star Wars characters as heroes, this, vid- this video game. Um, Moff Tarkin is a character that you can use as a unit. This is a real-time strategy game. Uh, and he gives bonuses to your characters when, they're, when he's in the field and a bunch of extra abilities. But the downside is you cannot retreat. Uh, in this game, you would enter enter space, do some battling, and you could choose to retreat with your surviving units. The downside of Tarkin is he's unable to conceive of retreat because of the line in episode four of retreat in our moment of triumph. And then the radio play comes up and has freaking Wormtail whispering in Tarkin's <laughs> ears saying, Tarkin's actually like, should we like bail out on this? Like this might be, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. And then... This uh, that retcon is being the Tarkin was actually just like being manipulated. To be fair, to be fair, if I was that Tarkin's advisor and he was like, "Should we leave him?" Of fucking course we shouldn't. We have overwhelming firepower (laughs) against a bunch of ragtag like dickheads. Like Mm. they didn't have any context of the fact that you just needed to shoot this one particular spot and this will all explode. Yeah, like Like, it's if you looked at it from his point of view. Retreat seems like the stupidest fucking thing in the world. Yeah, like I still, I still like the idea of Tarkin, uh, the hubris of Tarkin. I like that much more than someone whispering in his ear. Like it's the size of a fucking moon. (laughs) 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 Uh, Like that's that's like like uber like 
uber Soviet engineering to have one thing be shot and the whole thing blow up. It's fucking ridiculous. Rogue One explains that, though. What? Rogue One explains that. Oh, I can't remember. What did they say? So in Rogue One, the... um. Because the architect of the Death Star oh, was yeah. reluctantly, he deliberately built the, if you shoot this, it blows up <laughs> into yeah, its design. So it could be blown up. I remember <laughs> that. That makes a yes. lot more sense. That was a very needed, <laughs> necessary retcon. For sure. Uh, it was a weird use of Mads Mikkelsen in that movie. Yeah. Because he never says anything. He just kind of shows up and he's like, hey, and he dies. All right, yeah. cool. Thanks, Mads. <laughs> You're a very good actor. It's weird that they... Put yeah, you in the role like, with the least required amount of acting. Um, they've started mentioning Thrawn, who's this big expanded universe character. He turns up in Rebels recently, and he's fantastic in it. But he's he got name-dropped in the Ahsoka series, which implies he's going to turn up in live action. And I was thinking, oh, man, who would I cast for Thrawn? Mads Mikkel... Oh, no, they already killed him as some rando engineer who was admittedly very good. I like Galen Erso. He's a pretty cool character, but he gets very little screen time comparatively. And now they've wasted one of their coolest like villain actors... Uh, which they could have used for Thrawn. Now they need to pick someone else for Thrawn. I'm like, uh, isn't he a makeup though? Uh, not Does much. Does it matter? Thrawn is basically just like blue skin and like contact lenses. Yeah, but like, look at Jeffrey Combs and how many characters he played in Star Trek <laughs> in the same episodes. That's uh, true. I mean, like, no, I mean, like, I think that uh, Mads Mikkelsen could definitely play him, but like, they've already used the actor. Um, yeah, but like, they can use if he's in costume, like in. Like makeup. It's not. Can. It's not. He would still look like Mads Mikkelsen, though. He'd just be blue. Yeah. yeah. Like, why is there a blue Mads Mikkelsen? Star Wars doesn't <laughs> Didn't he really die? Star Wars <laughs> doesn't really reuse its actors like Star Trek does. Um, like they will use voice actors for animated stuff, but uh, they've never really done the Star Trek thing of I could, uh, of that. I could see that being really confusing for new fans who are like, "Isn't this character? Is this that same character? Has he been brought back and now he's blue because of the process?" <laughs> like yeah. that's legitimate. Maybe they should make that. <laughs> they, they should. They should adapt his character blue. and make it like that. Oh, I blue, like. I know nothing. Different. I know freaking nothing about who Thrawn is, but I'm sure they it, could find a way to make no, it. No, that that frustrates me no end. <laughs> that ruins Thrawn entirely, and that is a half hour discussion. <laughs> Maybe they're like calf brothers. No, <laughs> Thrawn is from like a secret empire in like the unknown regions, and the idea with them is that they know all. They're like all about uh, the state comes first. We everyone lives in service to the state, and they have this really high tech society. Thrawn uh, is a outsider because he was big in their military, but then it was like, hey, so the empire is currently big in the galaxy. In order for us to preserve ourselves we need to join the empire because the empire is a big stick that will fight off all other threats such as the yuzang vong which is a race of aliens that comes from outside the galaxy which he knew about back in the day uh which is yet to be canon in star wars but they keep implying that maybe they're going to bring it in um but yeah uh and then thrawn gets outcast and he joins the empire and he's, he's he's very much like a service to the state kind of guy but anyway um, You're talking about one of the most beloved characters <laughs> in the extended universe. You can't renege his backstory to be a weird half brother of Mad Mickelson's character you from just, Rogue One. This is a Natasha Yar situation <laughs> that we can. Yes. Yeah, we can't send Picard back in time to before Tasha Yar died, make an alternate timeline, rescue her back 50 years, and then have her fuck a Romulan, and then the daughter turns up as a half-Romulan, half-human villain for the later seasons. And f- 
Star Why not? Wars, <laughs> Star Wars is just starting to dabble in time travel, and they're going very slowly with it. They're not. They're not ready for. If, if we want bullshit like that, we go to Star Trek or Doctor Who. That's where it belongs. I don't feel like yes, yeah, Star Wars needs time travel, but still, it's um. Just if I can quickly loop back to the radio play for a second. Yes, it's been but it's been on my mind. How much shit does Leia go through in this? I know. Yeah. Like Leia's voice actress spends most of her time screaming in agony in she some was, way, shape, or form. She in was really she was good. good. Mm. She like I she sounded almost exactly like Carrie Fisher. Yeah, she yeah it's not Carrie Fisher, but she does. She's probably the best sound alike in this. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, like there's there's two sections in the same episode or like back to back episodes. Uh, which were a bit rough, and I was like, I don't enjoy these scenes, but uh, the interrogation oh, like, scene. Someone interrogation definitely scene. masturbated to that. Yeah, yeah, God, that was, um, I was, yeah, when I was listening to that, I was like, this is very full on, and this is, this is someone's fetish, and it's a bit weird. Mm. Like, this real, they really went for it there. I can see why that didn't make the movie. <laughs> did, did does Vader know that Leia's his daughter? I was never clear on that. Not at that point. He only learns that Leia exists is his daughter in Return of the Jedi. Uh, um, which makes it strange because when he realizes that in Return of the Jedi, he doesn't really, it doesn't really phase him. He's like, oh, so Leia's your twin sister. If you won't join me, then perhaps she will. And then fight by fight. It's not like a, oh, so Leia's your sister. Leia's just, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh, I do all those horrible things. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, Palpatine, I need to time out for a second. I oh, made her think her torture. skin was, yeah. I did some real... <laughs> Our torture got weird, man. <laughs> it got really weird. This is not okay. I've been hunting her for 20 years. Yes. Oh, my God. Jesus oh. Christ. It's, it was, yeah, that was full on. So I made her think her skin was on fire. <laughs> like, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of... Um, and then yeah, that was... It was <laughs> that was full on, that <laughs> one. And, like, the next one of... Uh, which wasn't nearly as full on, but it was still a bit like... Uh, it was Obi-Wan training Luke with the lightsaber. It... It felt like another ASMR. Yeah, story. I was just about to say <laughs> it's like the ASMR torture channel, yeah. kinky torture ASMR. And I'm like, incest. I, I, I guess this is what you got to do for a radio play. Like, this is what a radio play is good at. Um, but like, uh, they they were like my least favorite parts of the radio play. Um, Vader's kinky incest torture yes. ASMR channel. Claire, um, yeah. did you recognize Vader's voice actor? He sounded familiar. I don't know who, but he sounded familiar. It is Brock Peters, uh, famous for being Tom Robinson in The Killer Mockingbird and Joseph Sisko in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Oh my god! Wow! Like, uh. like, I did. I did find like Vader. I thought he was like much less of a like imposing presence mm -hmm. in this compared to the comics, but he felt more like a real person. I guess, yeah. like, if he wasn't meant to be Vader and he was just meant to be some other character, he would have been like good in his own right. But as Vader, he didn't really. Vader's such a weird character now that we have his backstory and we mm. find out how, how, like, Anakin doesn't make sense to turn into the villain of Vader as has been constructed. Mm. Um, this thing, I always found it really interesting comparing one to one. Uh, the scenes in episode four and the radio play, specifically when he boards the, the Tantopy Four. Um, in episode four, the film, uh, Vader chokes uh, Captain Antilles and aggressively throws him uh, against the wall. And he's like, uh, where did you hide those plans? And throws it down and then screams to a stormtrooper, I want you to tear this ship apart bit by bit until you find those plans and bring me the ambassador. I want her alive. In the radio play, he's much more calm and controlled. He's not, like, losing his shit. Uh, he chokes him out, like, oh, waste of a life. 
Amanda, tear this ship apart and bring me the ambassador. I want her alive. Like, it was such such differences in the way the character was being done. Yeah, like, he was... He felt like more like a normal man. He was almost but the voice of reason. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> like when Target's like, we'll blow up Alderaan, he's like, shouldn't we perhaps consult the Emperor about blowing up a vital economic and cultural <laughs> yeah. center of our empire? And he's just like, no, I'm okay. Like, it's just right. like, oh, <laughs> I guess so. Because he doesn't even have a reason to do that. A lot of the... A lot of the times with Vader, because like when when he when he's implied like you're going easy on Leia, and you know he's like maybe don't blow up Alderaan and all of that. I'm kind of thinking along the lines of like, he, he, I must have forgotten something, and he must know that Leia is his daughter. Yeah, because there's no other reason for him to be this compassionate mm. <laughs> about okay, either yeah. Leia or the planet, unless he was thinking back to his old squeeze and their time on Alderaan, which might have helped a little bit. Yeah, you, so yeah. even if he doesn't know that she's a she's his daughter, he's still got that in the back of his mind of like, well. If this were my daughter, that'd be kind of fucked up. Maybe we should. Uh, I, I, I thought that. <laughs> In a hypothetical world. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I thought that at first, but then, like, he doesn't really. When he's just like, ah, I'm sure the Emperor will be fine. And Vader's just like, yeah, all right. Then he doesn't really fight no. it any more than that. Like, first, when, when he says it at first, I thought, oh, maybe yeah. Vader's showing another side to him. But then he's just like, eh. Mm. <laughs> uh, and, like,. The same with Leia. You could almost interpret him going easy on her, but at the same time, she has a vital piece of information. True. Like, I, it would be an interesting interpretation. Yeah, he doesn't want to damage her because he's like, we need the thing out of your brain. Also, I wouldn't call what he did going particularly easy. If that was yeah. going... Like, he was going easy at first, but then yeah. he... It seemed to also imply it's like, you've killed heaps of people in interrogation. You're not a very good interrogator then, aren't you, Vader? <laughs> like, well, I, well, I would that's imagine. not the point of interrogation. Yeah. I would imagine that, like... <laughs> The scene that we saw was step, like, let's say Vader is an expert torturer and has done this a bunch of times, uh, that this is the first of, like, 20 sessions. Um, it Because uh, Vader started getting frustrated, it seems, towards the end, and then he kind of stops it. I think I would have liked it if they kind of implied a bit more that Vader's like, all right, cool, so I expected this out of the first session. Uh, of course, you're going to... Uh, you're a strong-willed person, and you're not going to fall for this immediately we're going to have to work up to this. We need to do like weeks or months of this to really break you down. Like that sort of real evil uh, torturing long-term. It sounded too much like a patient Dom getting frustrated yes. with his bratty sub. Yes. <laughs> it was, that was weird. I don't think we're projecting onto this either. I really do. I remember listening to it and being like, this is weird how horny <laughs> it is. But it's, um, yeah, I don't know. Other people might disagree with us. And if you do, that's fine. Please don't email me about it. Oh, speaking <laughs> of horniness. I really don't want to get put in horny jail <laughs> uh, uh, Speaking Sorry. of horniness, um, like, well, did they know that Luke and Leia were like brother and sister by the time they recorded this? So the radio series was done in uh, 81. Uh, Empire Strikes Back came out in 80. So, yeah, George Lucas had 100%. He hadn't, it hadn't been revealed yet, but it was... 100% known by George Lucas when the scripts were for this radio play was written. Because they really didn't try and, like... Yeah, there's... <laughs> we get Luke We get Luke going, oh, I wish there was a dream girl in my life. Then uh, they kiss for luck. Then Biggs returns and goes like, oh, so you're sweet on Leia, huh? And then we get a second kiss for luck from Leia. And I was like, guys, I know that this is all innocent and 
uh, platonic and everything, but it, we don't need to bait Luke like this, please. <laughs> like, like Luke was also clearly Leia's favorite person after. Like, I, it, they really didn't try and like back um, it off. Yeah, uh, back off the incest vibes at all. Mm. Yeah, they they really didn't try and. Um, yeah, I feel sorry for the people that shipped Luke and Leia um, back in the day because they were given ample reason to, and they were given a canon novel at yeah. the time. They were oh, given really? a canon. There was there was a novel. I have I have out. a I have a copy of it here. Yeah. Um, it is called Splinter of the Mind's Eye. The story behind it is that Episode Four came out, and George Lucas was like, "All right, I don't know if this is going to be successful or not, so I'm going to write two two drafts for the sequel." The first one is going to be Empire Strikes Back, and that's assuming I get budget and money, and I'm going to make Empire Strikes Back. If I don't get budget and money, I need a low-budget version of this that can just be filmed really cheaply and be put out. So Splinter of the Mind's Eye, Luke and Leia go to a planet which has a magical crystal on it which they need to capture and get out of the Empire's hands. It's a swamp fog planet, so all of the sets would have been really cheap to make because it's just fog. Um... Luke and Leia have to avoid the Imperials and Vader is hunting them the entire time throughout the fog. Um, and it's real horny. Luke and Leia are 100% horny for each other. Like, there's scenes where, like, Leia has to, like, strip because her clothes got, like, dirty or some shit. And Luke's like, don't worry, I won't watch. Or, like, maybe vice versa. <laughs> um, I haven't read the whole thing, but I want to just, like, highlight the sections of the horny jails in it. Because the person who wrote this story wasn't George Lucas. He got given notes... F- uh, George Lucas wrote this script, and then when Empire got greenlit, went, okay, cool, I'll hand these notes over to a novelist, and they can go write this as a paperback. The paperback gets done by this other guy who just had these notes, who had some notes from George Lucas and episode four to go on, and he's like, all right, well, I'll just draw conclusions from where I thought this film was going. Hey, these two seem like the romantic couple. Let's pair them up. Let's go. And so Splinter of the Mind's Eye is the Star Wars incest novel. <laughs> You really, to be fair, you really don't have any reason to assume that Leia and Han would end up together because they treat each other like... Not from... Well, unless you're used to seeing all the romances where the people who hate each other end up together. Then you definitely know it's going to happen. Yeah. They hate each other this whole fucking movie. Like... Like, um... She... She's so sweet on Luke and she just despises... Han and anyone who has anything to do with him. She calls Chewie a carpet. And, like, up to that moment, she'd been, like, the nicest person to everyone. And suddenly she's a virulent racist because yeah, Chewie happens to be Han's <laughs> friend. The only way that I can, I can make sense of that is that she's just having a real bad day. And she just <laughs> let, she was. And she just let <laughs> slip a racial slur. And she's just like, you know what? Fuck this. I don't. G-. And then, like, uh, afterwards, you go, like, Chewie, I'm sorry about that. I, I'm. My planet blew up. I've been captured. I've been tortured uh, by this guy who had some weirdly horny shit to say. I'm sorry I let that slip. That was still not appropriate. And she would be like, and we're like, all fine. Yeah, like, I think part of the reason, like, I never liked anyone, like, from the original trilogy when I watched them as a kid, is that they all just seem like jerks. Mm -hmm. And in this, they seem really nice. Like, my first introduction to Leia was her calling Chewie... Well, not my first introduction, but, like... Like, they didn't go as deeply into, like, the reasons she should be, like, acting like a jerk when she's being rescued. Mm. But, like, I'm like, oh, this chick's a bitch. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, no, no, I feel bad for thinking that. <laughs> and I think 
This goes, George Lucas is not actually a very good writer, I don't think. Agreed. Because he doesn't write people well. He writes these weird two-dimensional, like, hey, kid, I'm, I'm Han and I'm here because I like money. And Luke's all like, I'm pretty bland and women are bitches. And it's just <laughs> as he's... And in layers, I'm women. Yeah. A lot of the other movies, I don't think were written by him. No, so uh, Empire and Jedi were not done. The two better ones I would like to point out of the original Uh, trilogy were not written by Lucas. And the most input that George Lucas had was in the prequels because by that point his stature was so high and so well regarded because he took all the credit for it that he's like, well, I'm the auteur. I'll say how this goes. And everyone goes, all right, you made Star Wars. And then the prequels start happening. They go, oh. Oh, no, this is not good at all. And it's like, you've devoted half of episode two to the worst romantic subplot ever. Uh, and the dialogue for between Padme and Anakin is atrocious. Uh, Which is a bit sad. The, the thing with episode one, two, and three is there's lots of... If you, like, cut out all the subplots that don't matter and suck, it's a phenomenal story that goes arc that goes through yeah like anakin's arc like in terms of if you take out if you at least tone down some of the other stuff with um the padme stuff and you turn it a bit more into like just him generally getting constantly overlooked and fucked over by the jedi council Mm -hmm. who are a bunch of dickheads as well (laughs) hanging around it's just there's there's a lot of good ideas like there's pod racing everyone loves pod, pod racing is sick bring it back most bring it in the Mandalorian yeah, that'd be mo- amazing most people love episode three I don't yeah. mind episode two or at least parts of episode two like there's good stuff in there but he just can't seem to write people mm. in a way that makes you care about them and I think that's one of the big reasons why the movies are not great ambassadors for the series as a whole yeah. because he's such a poor writer there's so s- the Clone Wars TV show is the biggest apology uh, to fans bec- uh, from, like, the movies. There are s- a insane amount of episodes in the Clone Wars TV show which are directly referencing bits in the films and saying, okay, we'll fix this. We'll add something here which makes that make sense. There are so many things. Anakin becomes a much more understandable, reasonable, and you go, oh, I can see how you fell to the dark side in that way. Things like... Again, spoilers for everything Star Wars. Uh, Ahsoka being a new character dropped into the Clone Wars as Anakin's apprentice. And everyone rolled their eyes and went, oh, great, we've got a stupid kid character being added in for hijinks. She later becomes an, a big fan favorite, a very good Jedi in her own right. She grows up under the Clone Wars thinking, oh, this is just what Jedi are. And then realizing that the Jedi don't actually serve peace and justice, they just serve the state now, mm-hmm. and don't care about anybody. She... Uh, finds out about in in one episode of the series there's like a chase in Coruscant and they blow up a couple of things in season seven she meets two kids who were orphaned from that car chase uh, and the Jedi at the time had returned to that house and gone to the kids like oh my god are you guys alright they're like our parents are dead and the Jedi goes, well, believe in the Force and you'll be okay, and left without a word. <laughs> and so these two kids became street urchins who had to like beg, borrow, and steal to survive. And Ahsoka sees that and goes, like, wow, holy shit, the Jedi are fucked. Yes. She leaves the Order, actually before she found out about those kids, uh, after the Jedi Order put her on trial for political reasons to get themselves out of a scrape. And when the Jedi welcomed her back, she went, actually, fuck you. No, this is terrible. And she left. And Anakin is heartbroken. because so, yeah. So are you saying that the Jedi offer thoughts and prayers? Yes, yes 100%. That's, that's all they really do. You, 
it's evident even in episode one, like how little they do. Like, yeah, I'm not time. here to free slaves. Anakin, I didn't come to Tatooine to free slaves. And I was like, all right, that's <laughs> okay, that was like, what you did. Bit weird that you didn't, but yes, okay, that's cool. Um, um, well, like just with the Ahsoka bit, she she leaves. Anakin has poured his as has grown to love Ahsoka as effectively a daughter. And when she leaves, he she explicitly says like, "It's not you. It's the Jedi Order. They're why I'm leaving because the Order is shit. Um, I'm gonna go and find my own way." And Anakin feels terrible that he didn't do enough to help her and also that he wasn't able to do it because of the council. And there's a deleted scene where he is absolutely frustrated with everything and venting to Obi-Wan as saying that, well, we didn't give her much of a choice, uh, did we? Like, she had to leave because of the council. And Obi-Wan counters with, well, Jedi aren't supposed to get emotionally attached and stuff. And she let her emotions. Which is really fucking stupid. Yeah, really fucking stupid. You're not meant to feel anything ever. Isn't oh the dear. whole point of the Force that it's meant to feel... Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just, they're like, don't feel anything because you might feel something bad sometimes. And that's really bad if you feel something bad. And so you should never feel it. Which, as a psychologist, is literally the worst thing you can tell anybody who is having <laughs> trouble with their emotions. Now uh, I really want to see like a psychologist... <laughs> Like rewriting <laughs> Star Wars, <laughs> like like how would how if if the Jedi if the Je- if the Jedi and the Sith knew what you know about psychology, how would the Force work? Probably a lot better, to be oh. honest. Um, yeah, but it's just oh my god, what if they like at some point like killed off all the psychologists because they were too powerful in the Force? <laughs> that would be a cool Star Wars story. So that basically, well, hang on, you're describing Scientology. Yes. <laughs> so basically, Scientology is a plot to destroy oh. the users of the Force. Let's make this. Let's write this Star Trek, like Star Wars, prequel. <laughs> This, I is, did this is what happened to the Force on Earth before they went to... No, wait, uh, this is the f- no, wait, well, this is in the f- past, isn't this it? This is in the distant past. Yeah. Um, th- I do actually headcanon to fix the whole Metachlorian thing that Metachlorians aren't actually real, or if they are, they don't affect the Force in that way, and it was just a popular uh, uh, pseudo-scientific system that was in vogue at the time that Qui-Gon was like, oh, yeah, this is how it works, and then... After a couple of years, everyone's like, oh, no, actually, that was bullshit. So, so what we need is we need the Jedi and the Sith to team up, become psychologists, and kill all the Scientologists. Possibly. Yes. yes. I don't think that's going to happen, though. <laughs> so that's... um, Is there any... What was this like for you, Goldie? Because you haven't ever listened to this whole thing. Uh, no, I haven't. I, like, I, I noticed a whole bunch of things. Um, I, I could tell when there were scenes that they were, like, padding time or they're like, well, we introduced this information visually how do we do this in a radio play instead? So, like, rather than when they enter the bar in Tatooine, uh, we don't get Luke going up to the bar. Uh, we get Obi-Wan talking to some dude and getting introduced to, to Chewie, which is what happens in the film. It just happens kind of f- further away from the camera. Um, we do see Obi-Wan talking to a guy, and we do see him get introduced to Chewie. But we get that whole conversation of exposition, and then in the background, we hear Luke getting the shit kicked out of him, and Obi-Wan's like, hang on a second, I've got to go deal with this. Um, Cuts a man in half. Yeah, uh, I did. Uh, yeah, like it was. It was still good. It was interesting. Uh, I f- felt that Obi Wan was poorly written. He's just constantly very like needlessly verbose yes, in all is. of his shit because um, they're trying to write like a wise old wizard sort of thing. But I think they kind of missed the mark. I liked all the backstory he gave to the Wookies. It is Wookies, right? Yes, I, that was all spot on. That was really cool. It was uh, good to not just have. 
Chewie be your noble savage, it was, oh, no, he's actually, like, yeah, Wookiees are good. Like, they are advanced and all, ty- all types of shit. Um, and establishing that, like, hey, languages. Uh, we were constantly having 3PO translate for R2 when a lot of the time that's just kind of forgotten. Like, it's, it's, it's implied that droid is a language that some people understand and some people don't, but it's some, a lot of the time, if there's no translated droid in the scene, people just figure out what R2 is saying. I don't know what to think about droids in Star Wars because, like, in S- S- Star Trek and, like, Battlestar Galactica and stuff, they go into, like, the question of, is AI sentient? Star Wars' answer to that is shut up. Yeah, <laughs> whereas in this, it's like, am I meant to care about no, these characters? Shut up, as shut up, shut they're up. They're, like, sentient <laughs> they're fine. beings. They're happy being slaves. And, like, yeah, <laughs> that, that scene where they're going to buy 3PO and, like, R2, it's a, it felt a lot like, you know... A young boy from a plantation going to pick up, going down to the slave trade to pick up, like his. Star Wars' you know. answer to all of that is constantly shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Because it's like, okay. how can I? How can I? Because you're making me, you're making it feel like I'm meant to care about these characters, but you're also making it feel like I'm not meant to care about the fact they're very clearly being treated as exactly mm. like slaves. Um, I Anthony Daniels is C three PO, so like Anthony Daniels and uh, Mark Hamill were the I think the only two returning voice actors, uh, and once again Anthony Daniels, perfect with all of his dialogue. Anthony Daniels, I don't know what they're gonna do when Anthony Daniels dies, uh, because no one can play three PO like he does. Three PO is constantly just such a lovely character, full of anxiety, full of anxiety. Uh, he's very fruity. He he he's got like he's very queer coded. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's uh, more like a British butler is, I think, the attempt. Which is also very queer. <laughs> yes. um, but, like, uh, all of th- 3PO uh, worrying, and uh, I liked when he and R2 um, squabble in the desert and then go separate ways, and then immediately 3PO's like, that son of a bitch, you tricked me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just constantly blaming R2 for everything, and, like, off whenever he's separated, it's like, oh, please, save R2. Then R2 comes up, you piece of shit. Yes. <laughs> and R2's like, I love you too. They're very shippable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like how R2 is clearly the more competent one. Like, R2 is always fixing the problems, and C3PO is just like, ah, I'm here too, I guess. Uh, They're like Wallace and Gromit. They are like Wallace and Gromit. Yeah, they're very much the same archetype. They're Um, very good. When uh, they're escaping the Tantive 4, again, this is, I think this scene is done better in the radio than in the film. uh, When R2's just left Leia, and 3PO's on the back, and like, R2, where the fuck are you? And then comes up to me, hey, we got to deal with something and Arthur's like yeah don't worry I'm dealing with it like where are you going why are you going to the escape pod with droids we're not allowed in there and Arthur's like fucking stop me and climbs in there like you idiot get out of there in this instant if we're caught in there then and then a blaster fire explodes over his head ah get in move aside let me get in let me get in and three of you just panicking and Arthur's like hey you can stay here if you want I'm going with or without you I would really like to see interaction between uh, C-3PO and the EMH from Voyager yeah, I think that yeah, that'd be interesting because the EMH would have a lot more to say, and three PO would just three uh, PO would be super happy with a lot of shit that the EMH would not put up yeah, with. Yeah, so yeah. the EMH could start the revolution. I don't think the revolution starts with three PO. I think three PO is too scared. No. Yeah, so but he but like talking to three PO would like the EMH would then go to other people and like yeah, yeah but <laughs> like the doctor would because the doctor would like C three PO because they've got the same kind of. Well, or, or they'd hate each other. I'm not really sure which. I think that the doctor would appreciate him as like an assistant, but then yeah. just be frustrated in a whole bunch yes. of other ways about He's him. He's too loony and zany. Yeah. Also, I should point out the Han Solo movie had a droid uprising. 
Yes. I can't, oh, I can't remember Yeah, there that. was a brief bit where, like... There's a whole character arc for one of the characters. She's a droid, and she's like, droid rides, and then she leads a droid uprising, oh, yeah, and then I she gets killed <laughs> immediately. And they're like, we're never going to talk about this subject again. <laughs> There's also another bit of uh, uh, shitty canon, which it, I'm pretty sure isn't canon at the moment. IG-88, the droid bounty hunter, who turned up in Empire Strikes Back at one point. Um, his backstory, which... Like, I'm assuming one guy just uh, got given, hey, do you want to write something for this character? Uh, no limits, just as long as it doesn't affect the main plot. And he's like, fucking hell yeah. And so developed this huge backstory to him, which is IG-88 was designed as a prototype uh, assassin droid, the best of his kind. As soon as he was activated, he immediately killed his creators and uploaded his mind into, like, eight other identical copies. So whenever IG-88... IG-88 gets killed, it's one of his duplicates that is just roaming the galaxy. Most of them are working as bounty hunters to get funds and resources for the main ones who are working on droid uprising control of the galaxy. This plan comes to fruition in Return of the Jedi by one of the IG-88s getting aboard the second Death Star and replacing the main computer with himself. And as the events of the film go on, he's slowly gaining access to more and more systems. He gets access to the super laser and when Palpatine gives the order to fire, he's like, I'm going to maintain my cover by shooting at the rebel ships and following my commands. He was just able, he was about to start firing on the Imperial ships when the second Death Star blew up. <laughs> uh, and because IG's plan was, I'll take control of the Death Star and use it to kill all organics in the universe. And then he died. <laughs> That's <laughs> so like the ultimate shaggy dog story. Yeah, like there's a, a lot of stories in Star Wars which, are so obviously constrained by the f- by the film's plot, like we we can't touch that, so we have to work s- as close as we can to the edge of the plot, uh, so that that still happens. Uh, there's a, a book trilogy called uh, A Certain Point of View, which is a collections of sto- short stories set in and amongst episodes four, five, six, which is a bunch. A couple of them are pretty good, but they're a bunch of bullshit. Of obviously, like you didn't need to explain this. So it's like Star Wars. Is it? Does it have happen in like a certain segment of the galaxy, or does it happen all over the galaxy? Uh, it is galaxy wide. Like the galaxy map, uh, in most agreed forms, pretty much has two thirds of it as the known galaxy. Um, about a third of it is like known space, and one third of it is wild space, where like outlaws and everything is going on and then the other half of the galaxy is the unknown regions um the reason why they're hard to traverse because hyperspace needs there's basically weather in hyperspace is the easiest way to describe it um plotting a new route is difficult and risky and you might just slam into a sun or just instantly evaporate um so there are known hyperspace routes and there are ancient hidden ones lost to the ages that people stumble across so getting into the unknown regions is difficult and a lot of bad guys hide out there in like secret places. Okay, so like the area that the whole plot is taking part is taking place in is like dictated by these established hyperspace routes. Yes. Yes and no. What I've just described is again how the back canon justifies and organizes all of this which the films routinely ignore. Uh in both the last Jedi and uh Return and episodes 8 and 9 um, we have situations where characters hop into Finn and whatever, they have to go to the cantina to get a spy and then come back to the fleet. They travel the length of the galaxy in a matter of hours um, and then travel back in, again in an insanely short amount of time. Like, is it a very small galaxy? Or? 
Well, that's the thing. Like in other Star Wars, it's established like the Millennium Falcon has beds on board, implying like, and this happens a lot uh, that it takes hours or days, if not weeks, to get some places. But the films just ignore this. Um, they could have set the film. Episode one is set in a relatively small area of space. Uh, Coruscant is the f- largest jump that they do. Um, episode five as well is set in a relatively small amount of space. But then eight and nine have characters jumping across the galaxy. And in nine, they say like Palpatine's going to launch his ships in like 19 hours or something. So all the planets that they go to had to happen within that amount of time. And the, we know from like previous maps that they've given us, that's all over the galaxy. Yeah. So like warp tenning this shit all over the, all over the galaxy in insane amount of time which just makes a lot of other plot not really make as much sense. Basically, for Star Wars, this is very frustrating, I think, to a lot of Star Wars fans, is there's a lot of meticulous and really well-written detail throughout the entire setting, which the most well-known pieces of media around it routinely shit all over and completely ruin, which is one of the reasons why I think you have never enjoyed Star Wars if you only watch the movies. Yeah, that sounds about (laughs) right. Yeah, because it... um, the movies really don't give a shit about any... The movies are the series' worst enemy, in my opinion, mm. in terms of like... I'm not saying they're all bad or anything, but if you appreciate the broader lore of Star Wars, they're definitely more of a hindrance most of the time than they are. Yeah, the, all of the uh, other canon is either writing their own good stuff mm. or more often than not, they're trying to fix the holes got, that got made in the rest of it. The, the novelization for episode nine... I've is most accurately described as patch notes yes. uh, because it has to describe all of the plot holes that episode nine brought up. Um, things like, while it was admittedly a cool sequence in episode eight, when they do the hyperspace Ram mm. that busts open and just kind of uh, breaks a lot of space combat in star Wars, because the implication is it, we've know that everybody has hyperdrives, a, hi- a hyperdrive on a ship is just a moderately good car in comparison. Luke is able to buy a ship if he really wanted to. Han has one and he's a piece of shit. Every man and his dog could get a ship with a hyperdrive if they wanted to. If you can just bolt a hyperdrive to an asteroid and destroy a a whole Star Destroyer, a massive battleship, for like only some thousands of dollars, then why do you build a space navy at all? You wouldn't need a Death Star. Yeah. You could destroy a planet by strapping a hyperdrive to a large enough object. Uh, Like... There's a book series which I might get you guys to read uh, as part of this, um, mm. written by Joel Shepard, who is a wonderful Australian artist, also originally from Perth, now South hey, Australia. Hey, yeah. a Australian local boy. Based. Yes. He's, um, he writes two of my favorite book series ever, and one of them um, is called The Spiral Wars, and he's really good at writing realistic sci-fi, which is also has enough of the fantasy element to be fun. Mm-hmm. But in that... He really emphasizes space combat in like if a ship, a ship that can travel like between spots in the galaxy can build up so much speed that all it needs to do is take a pass at a planet and lob one missile at like its top Mm. speed. And the impact of that missile in the planet will be enough to effectively annihilate everything on it. Um, And it's. That he has, and he, he's really good at writing because he's like, if things can move this fast, there has to be a reason for this not to consistently happen. Yeah. And so he's very good at writing around that um, and being like, why don't we just fucking. So when people go to war, they don't just fucking drop, they don't just show up 
and 40k like every planet because in 40k they're like we can destroy planets and do it all the time but 40k is so big that it doesn't really matter if you are destroying 100 planets a day because there's a billion trillion more yeah that's kind of the thing with star wars is that it's meant to apparently take place in basically a huge like a, an entire galaxy but it feels like there's hardly any not hardly anyone there but it's just yep. like it feels like being on earth you've got like a few countries you got like about 100 countries and that they they're everything they do affects everyone else whereas mm. like if you were if you were in an actual galaxy they'd be like what yeah like bil- like again we probably need to get back to a radio play a little bit more but one last point of uh and again, I don't want this podcast episode to just be shit on this shit on the sequels. But episode nine says, "Hey, everything ever that went wrong in the galaxy is because of one family, and it was Palpatine caused literally everything. The Sith technically may not even exist. Palpatine may have just said that they exist. Uh, maybe there were some scrolls everywhere that said the Sith existed at one point thousands of years ago. Palpatine is just a guy." who set up everything from uh, every single film was just another part of a weird, insanely uh, complicated uh, domino effect of himself. And if you just, like, popped him in episode one, everything's fine. Uh, Even Rey is because of him. Even Anakin is because of him. And just, it's this big single dynasty that has now been tied to every single plot thing in Star Wars, and it makes it so much less interesting. Yes, I, I didn't mind the new trilogy as I mentioned. Although nine was weird in some mm. ways, uh, and I t- I did like the whole like Palpatine is back somehow. <laughs> <laughs> He's just back now. Uh, but it's um, I like how he appeared in Fortnite. Yeah, that like, that was the reveal. I just like Palpatine. Like Palpatine's a fun ge- character. I d- I think because I'm as much as you might be led to think otherwise. I don't think I'm nearly as invested in Star Wars enough to care about a lot of the broader implications of Palpatine mm-hmm. coming back because I just like Palpatine because he just shows up and he's like, Aah. Palpatine is really electrocute fun. you all. And I'm like, oh, great. This is what I want. Yeah. <laughs> this is it, a like, good two hours of my time. I, I know that a lot of people, like, uh, a lot of Star Wars fans didn't like Palpatine shooting the lightning and electrocuting the entire fleet. Even though I have issues with Palpatine coming back, that was super fucking cool. Yeah. He's meant to be like a god-tier wizard god tier space wizard so of course he can just electrify the entire fucking fleet that's yeah he's big evil he's he's the the biggest bad of star wars that that was fine for me yeah i just like that meme where it's just like anakin and palpatine talking and anakin's just like our our, our grandkids are gonna kiss and then they're <laughs> like and then palpatine's like your kids are gonna kiss and then anakin's like should we kiss <laughs> brilliant um, um so some other bits that i noticed uh uh, when in the car ride to Mos Eisley, uh, Luke is pestering Kenobi for details of like the plot. He's like, "So you knew about Vader, right? Vader killed my father. Can you tell me about him?" And like, "What? How did it happen?" And all this, and Kenobi's like, "Shut up!" Yeah. Everyone's like, "Later." <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll tell you later. This I'm not allowed to plot dump this for you yet. I used to be young and handsome. Okay, shut up. <laughs> I used to be far more interesting as a character until I suddenly got really esoteric and boring. Yeah. Um. Because young Obi Wan is so much cooler, but anyway, it's um, yeah, that was <laughs> Luke <laughs> constantly pressing Obi Wan and Obi Wan being like, nah, "I'm alright." Yeah, and also during that duel with here Obi Wan 
versus Vader. Vader, which works a lot better in the radio format because you don't get to see the underwhelming lethargic lightsaber duel that occurs. Uh, And everyone's just like, why don't you kill me? You fucking idiot. (laughs) Kill me, you you dumbass. And he's just like, all right, maybe I will. And then he kills him. He's like, ah, shit. (laughs) And everyone like comes in with that force ghost. And he's like, now I'm really powerful, Vader. And he's like, shut up. up. (laughs) Now you fucked up. (laughs) He's like, like, ah, for fuck's sake. You're always getting up to weird shit. Now you're a ghost. Um, it's just there's also the the like Star Wars has a bunch of lines that like have just become memes inside of the films like bad feeling I've got a bad feeling about this it, every like almost every character says it at some point because it's the force they're all force sensitive and they all have bad feelings about it actually that it does make more sense yeah I haven't thought of that before but anyway like it <laughs> like did the meme of it uh, when the first time it comes up and like no I think it's the second time because Han had said it and then when they're escaping Tatooine. Um, Luke, no, I think when they're singing Death Star, uh, Luke says, oh, I got a bad feeling about this. And almost in the back corner, Han goes, oh, you get those too? And it felt like a really weird, funny lampshade. I, I loved that moment. But, it, but have you heard um, Force-sensitive Han? Because I interpreted that differently. Have you heard the Force-sensitive Han theory? Not really, no. It's a theory that um, Han is Jedi-level Force-sensitive, and it's... One, why he's able to navigate an asteroid field in which he has like one in a billion chance of mm-hmm. surviving. Um, he constantly gets feelings, which are usually correct. Yeah. Um, he's an exceptionally good pilot with Jedi level reflexes in general. Mm-hmm. So the idea is uh, there's a general well-established fan theory, which I think is bordering on canon now, that Han is inherently quite force sensitive and if he was trained as a jedi would be an exceptionally good one that makes a lot of sense yeah. but he was just because he was born in an age where the jedi don't exist it's not really paid attention mm. to but all of his innate talents and abilities come from the fact that he is actually a very sensitive force user and so when you got that whole like oh you get those feelings too i thought that yeah that, that lines actually up, yeah that like, really oh wow you in. get those like weird premonitions about doom and things <laughs> like it so that's i thought that was a really nice, even though it's definitely not planned because this theory came 20 years after yeah. all this. It, I thought it lined up well with the Force-sensitive Han stuff. Um, I Something that I think that one of the best things I think that came out of the Solo movie, which I was a little surprised to see how much it got touched on here in this radio play, was uh, I love the idea that Han is inherently a good person, which Obi-Wan actually detects in this. Han a good person detector. Yeah, he's like, you got good vibes, mate. And I was like, no, I'm a scoundrel. I'm a badass. I'm a bitch. I'm a lover. <laughs> I'm a... Like, Han... And the solo film digs into this, which I thought was super cool. Han wants to be a huge badass alpha male, yes. like Sigma male sort of shit. Um, being like, I'm, oh, I'll fucking kill people. I'm, I'm a huge badass. And every single person who meets him goes, no, you're not. You're actually a softie. You're, Mate, you're a simp. You, you <laughs> are honestly a good person and you will help people. And that's why you'll never fit in this world. Um, you have so many moments in the solo film where Han is just trying to like puff his chest up and do all this cool shit. And everyone goes like, mate, stop. You're not. You're obviously going to help these people. You are a nice person. The reason Chewbacca joins him is because he sees what a nice person Han is. That he's not just a scumbag. Yeah. Uh, if he wasn't that, Chewie would have never joined him. And I like the idea that Chewie knows that about Han. Um, and whenever Han is being like all <laughs> tough guy, Chewie's just like, oh, 
Honestly, Han was more of a dickhead in this than I remember him being. He was, at oh, least yeah. up until the end. He's a huge dickhead in the movie, in the first movie as well. They soften him in the next two because they're written by people who know how to write characters. <laughs> However, he's um, a bit rapey in Empire. He's a, bit, he's a bit rapey in Empire. Wait, what does he do? Uh, like, the all of the romance scenes between him and Leia, and this might have just been a product of the writing movies at the time of this is what uh, male-female romance is, are like... Leia being no, and Han being like, oh, that means yes, doesn't it? Um, yeah, like, that'd be a product of the time. <laughs> yeah, there's just so much of it. There's like when they're in uh, a cupboard or some area of the Falcon fixing it, uh, and Leia like cuts her hand on something. She's like, ah, fuck. And Han grabs and starts massaging her hand. And she's like, stop that. And like, why? Are you, are you nervous? And he's like, no, I just don't want you touching my hand. <laughs> fuck off. And then he like leans in for a kiss, and they go, and they have this supposedly rom- really romantic kiss, which then gets interrupted by 3PO, at which point Leia scampers. It, and I can't see that film now without reading it as like super, super not okay. That's definitely a product of the time. Mm. There's also I Love You, I Know, which is <laughs> one, of the, one of the most unpassionate emissions of love where she's like, I love you. And he's like, yeah. Uh, but to be fair, he was about to be frozen in carbonite, so I probably would have been like, "Yeah, okay, don't we? <laughs> I really can't process this at the moment." <laughs> like, maybe not now, but oh, yeah. there's so many moments in Star Wars no, which are like, I don't remember, not now, please. Like, I don't remember that very well, but I thought that was him being kind of a what's the word, smug or like charming. It's it, yeah, yeah. It's meant to be sort of a charming and charismatic sort of thing, and it is referred to as like a big Hollywood romantic line. Mm. But in the moment, it's a, it's either like, okay, I can't really think about that right now, or it's a, yeah, bitch, I know. Yeah, um, I thought it was more of a like a, yeah, bitch, I know, but in kind of a more romantic way. Yeah, it could almost be read as like, uh, that's nice. Yeah, or, or like, I, I saw it more as like, well, obviously you love me kind of mm. thing. Like, we don't need, you don't need to tell me. Like, yeah, kind of that's th- what yeah, it's like, meant to be. Yeah. Um, uh, right. What else did I have written down? Yeah, we have uh, Han gets a ton of more content. Kenobi's more verbose. Uh, oh, when the rebels in the briefing for the Death Star attack, they're getting told about like what the plan is. There's so much back chat. Like he says, "Okay, we're going to fly towards the Death Star." Oh, come on! Oh, what are you talking? <laughs> Shut up! We're going to fly towards it and go along this trench at high speed. Oh, we can't do. It. And then we're going to shoot a target port that's two meters. Right. Oh, no. everyone's complaining. They're not a military organization. They're a they bunch are. of random people. Well, like I guess in the but they're not like, like a trained, disciplined military. For in the military, you're trained. Like you're pretty much. You have every stamp of individuality. Like ironed out of you so you just mindlessly follow orders they haven't had any of that happen because they're not the imperial I mean, like troopers it, it's implied that the rebels do have a lot more organization and this is kind of branching on which canon like the radio play does seem to lean towards that i would say that episode four and especially rogue one have changed that now that there was much more of a military sh- organization and structure uh even at that early time in the rebellion i would say there definitely is once you get to the current the newest trilogy but I think uh, the episode four rebellion always struck me very much as just a bit of a hodgepodge group of people. I would kind of say that, except they all have uniforms. Yeah. I do like, I want to quickly mention on this, mm-hmm. when Leia's like, oh yeah, we've definitely been tracked knowingly. Um, and firstly, like 10 minutes before, Han's like, if we're being tracked, should we maybe just stop off somewhere else and get rid of it? And she's mm-hmm. like, there isn't time. It's like, I think there is. 
But also, when she shows up, he's like, the Death Star is definitely going to be here in a second. And the gem was like, we really can't fight the Death Star right now. <laughs> like, we really don't have anything, like, to fight this with. And she's like, we'll be okay. He's like, all right. Sure. Yeah, it was a bit of I a guess, balls yeah. of move. Yeah. Because, yeah, she could have flown to some random planet, uh, transmitted a Not even that. Just fucking jettisoned the tracking device. I imagine it might have taken him a while, a while to find it. Maybe she wasn't reliable in thinking that we could find it in time. Yeah, they could have, like, gone to some big populous planet, disappeared amongst it, copied the plans as many times as they can, uh, and then find their way back to uh, the Rebellion. Yeah, it was a very dumb the, plan on Leia's there part. There really isn't the urgency she seems to think they are. Yeah. They're like, oh, this blow up more planets. They won't blow up more planets. They blew up your planet to show that they could. And now they go, and Tarkin even says, this is the, the best thing about the Death Star is it's like projection of force. Yeah. More than anything else. So it's like, we're not, they're not going to use it to blow things up if you think about it for even two fucking seconds. Mm. It's, yeah. uh, it's a thing which in like military combat happens a lot in naval warfare. Like the idea of uh, battleships in World War One was that they would project power, but then eventually that stopped working because people realized if you keep a battleship in a port, like there was a battleship uh, that the Nazis had, uh, Bismarck or Tirpitz, I forget which one, that just sat in the port in Norway for the entire war. And an entire British fleet was held at, I think, Scapa Flow in case that battleship made a break for it. And so this one battleship tied up an entire fleet of British ships just in case it got out. And that is money well spent. That battle... That battleship never ended up... It went into combat like once or twice and it got sunk immediately. Um, but it was money well spent because of the deterrence factor of it. If the British had just like gone for it and just tanked it, they would have been able to do it. Because the moment you deploy a battleship to use it, you go, okay, it's committed over here. We're going to attack over there. As long as the Death Star has turned up over Bespin and is about to blow that up, every other planet in the galaxy goes, okay, cool, we can make our move. Um the Death Star only works as long as you don't use it. Um, and the second that you do, or the second that people are like, all right, well, let's just bait them into using it, one planet out of the entire galaxy will get got, and everybody else will be fine. Yeah. Pretty much the whole gist. So I guess it, it just seems silly to me yeah. in general. Um, I don't think I have much more to say about this at the moment. Is there anything else in your notes? Uh, what about you, Claire? We haven't heard from you in a while. Um, just that I'd ship it right. in regard to <laughs> Luke and Leia. I thought because so. Because, like... They surprise you get along. They, they, they appreciate each other's company and they... Yeah, like, as you said, I mean, like, if people want to ship Leia and Han, then that's very... Like, ship and let ship, but, like, yep. just going off the radio play, I mean... Who am I to stand in the way of love, yeah, regardless exactly. of what... Between two consenting, two, two or more consenting adults. adults. I think the people who shipped it back in the 70s and 80s and stuck by it should be respected. <laughs> that bastion yeah. uh, holding out ever since 1979. Yes, I keep up the good work, people. <laughs> you, you have our respect. The podcast supports you. Yes. Did this make you more interested in what in more extended universe Star Wars stuff? Uh, yeah, but there's also the fact that there's so much of it, <laughs> and like it's hard to find the stuff that's decent because I I know how that is because like I I got into Marvel that way and it was like so hard to like filter through all well, the stuff. Well, if that was only shit. 
If only there was a podcast <laughs> yes. where experts on this subject uh, who are passionate about this could bring to your attention the very creme de la creme of this and uh, point you in the right direction. If only a podcast such as Wouldn't that, that be convenient? That would be a good podcast. That would be convenient. <laughs> it's also, if you want a shortcut, if it's a TV show, it's probably good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I did It's a general thing. I mean, I yeah. watched season one of The Mandalorian. It had good episodes, but I also thought it was a bit overhyped, to be honest. I think it is a little bit overhyped, but it is a good show. Clone Wars is exceptional. Like, mm. there's... It's weird because Star Trek is known for its TV, which is why I think it has such a much better known extended universe. Yeah, that makes sense. But it's like Star Wars, I would argue its TV shows are more consistent than the movies, but they're not really that known. Well, like, uh, I guess it's even as a kid, there wasn't a Star Wars TV show for the longest time. And I remember in high school being like, man, wouldn't it be cool? There were rumors of a Boba Fett TV show or a Mace Windu TV show going around. And like, man, that'd be so cool because all of the Star Wars, like, visual content was, like, six hours of movies, and that was it. There was if, nothing else. If Jedi inbreed, do their children become, like, even more Force-sensitive? Is that yeah. where the Jedi came from? No. Mm, no. Okay. Uh, Force isn't supposed to be hereditary. I mean... Uh, Palpatine <laughs> kind of ruined that, thanks. Uh, there is things such as, like, Jedi Dynasty, so it is partially hereditary, but, like... Uh, I think that th- some, there's some cool stories where, like, mad scientists start fucking with the Force and, like, get, like I- inject, like, the Force into some dude and it, like, causes crazy shit. I think that's fun. I like mad scientist yeah, stories. That, that's one of the things about Star Wars that I found difficult to deal with is that I find the Force so vague mm. as to, like, what its deal is. That's I, probably for the best. The more detail they go into it, the less it makes sense and it's fun. There, yeah, like, um, it is... I've fought with uh, several of my friends about this a lot of like what the force is and isn't um no one hates a star wars fan more than another star wars fan <laughs> yes damn star wars fans yeah. they ruined star, star wars. wars um but like in the end of the day the force is a narrative thing to push a narrative forward and make moral judgments on the characters as a result um star wars Knights of the old old republic the old games while they are rough to get through do have a very interesting view on the force which i personally uh do like to accept in that the Force is effectively an eldritch god, which is partially, like, intelligent and is only partially aware of what's going on and is aiming for balance, and it does that by pulling people towards the dark or the light side. So if you uh, start tapping into one side of the Force, you will snowball to the other end, which explains why uh, you start dabbling in maybe helping a Sith Lord, and then the next thing you know, you're killing a bunch of children. Oh, um, you know how I feel about Eldritch things. Yeah, so... Yes, we do. Um, yeah, but so basically the Force is uh, trying to achieve a balance it will never achieve because it keeps pulling people's destinies left and right. You know you know what the Force reminds me of? What? The ring from Lord of the Rings, which is another thing I found yeah. hard to, like, get into because, again, the ring's powers are so vague. Yeah, that, that did bother me about Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, but in, in KOTOR 2 specifically... One of the main characters' plot is eventually revealed to be, I want to kill the Force. Um, I think that it robs of, of free will, and I have just found someone who has the ability to like kill the Force in a certain area, and I think that I can use that ability to kill the Force galaxy-wide, which may kill millions of people, but at least the survivors will be free. Like, that sounds sick, but like just in general with the f- Star Wars and the Force, it always... in. 
in the movies, it always makes it seem like the Force is the be-all and end-all yes. thing that's going to decide how things go. But, like, you can use it to choke people at a distance and you can use it to maybe lift up. You can also uh, use it to heal, read minds, change minds. Yeah, okay, that's fair. You can use it to do almost... Like, it's very different for everybody. Yeah. It's it's but kind of like a psychic energy. Yeah, I guess. But, like, science can do all that in, like, a standard sci-fi series like oh you can choke me at a distance i can shoot you with my laser beam (laughs) and like the whole thing with um like like in star trek okay you can use the force to heal someone i can use my tricord one of my tricorders don't do that you know my whatever dermal regenerator to do that or um like but star wars is very low tech yeah for a space traveling thing it's very low tech in general yeah and technological advancement in star wars is almost unheard of they deliberately if you like go to the nazi old republic era or you go back to the sequel trilogy era the tech level is basically the same like everyone has hyperdrives blasters lightsaber shields uh artificial gravity that doesn't change like some things change a bit like back in the old days jedi had to lock carry around these giant battery packs for the lightsabers which is pretty cool but like tech advancement is like achingly slow and that's just so that you can have the same stuff in a story i've uh, heard it said that like star wars isn't really science fiction it's just fantasy in space it is uh, it is it's science fantasy is a genre that i think you would plonk it into um which it yeah it is science science fiction is often about Here's a weird magical thing which would change the present world. Let's drop it in and see what happens. That might be robots. That might be the ability to, to tell the future. That might be an asteroid is headed towards the planet or it might anything. Sci-fi usually gets one thing, drops it in, and then watches. It sits back and watches what mm. happens. That's like classic sci-fi of Frankenstein. What if you could bring the dead back to life? Oh, my God. Uh Isaac Asimov is, what if robots had a bunch of rules and stuff? And what if robots? Um, I Am Legend and the Omega Man. What if everybody died? Star Trek, what if the UN was actually useful? Yes. Yeah, Star Trek, what, hey, what if everything turns out fine? We should probably wrap this up. I think we've been talking for a very long time. Yes, we probably have. I know I can go about Star Wars ratings. But yes, I'm, <laughs> I'm really glad that you guys enjoyed this. Um, there are radio plays of episodes five and six. I haven't listened to them. Um, I presume, I don't know. I know that they all do have a bit of extra content for them uh, here and there. Um, if you enjoyed these, then yeah, absolutely go and check them out. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that you guys enjoyed this. Wonderful. All right. So what's our next week? Ki- uh, next month. Killing Eve. Wonderful. We'll talk about that in a moment. Yes. Uh, in the meantime, you can email us at hyperfixationpod.com at gmail.com it's the old name because we have to rechange <laughs> it because um, there's like a billion hyperfixations we found out after our first uh, like upload and we couldn't find our own podcast so um it I was just assumed you would have checked that before naming it I did this is a very professional podcast but I did though <laughs> and, and I didn't just find so anything so everybody it's clearly everyone had the exact yeah, same <laughs> idea at the exact same time at the time. exact wow. same fucking time <laughs> clearly yes either that or I did not look as hard as I thought I did Okay, I would internet, you're all cop- internet, you're all copycats. You covered us before we even launched. Indeed. Look, well, to be fair, most of the other ones have like three episodes and they stopped. So the issue is there's so many of them that they bury ours underneath it. Mm. So now we're different. Uh, so, but yeah, so hyperfixationpod at gmail.com. Please rate, subscribe to us. Whatever you are listening to on this, do whatever they ask you to do to make us look good. Yep. Please. Thank you. Grease, the, grease those wheels. Grease those wheels. And Boy. Yes. See you all next month. All right. Bye.